castle, an undiscovered creature climbing on the mountainside. Welcome everyone to WWF The Legacy Series as we are on the road to WrestleMania 1993, WrestleMania 9, Caesar's Palace. Ms. Fan has picked out an array of matches. We will cover an entire episode of Raw from March 93. We will see Bret Hart, Lex Luger, Doink the Clown, and so many more. Yokozuna, Randy Savage. And I have to think, and maybe I'll figure it out as I go, how much of this past episode, more and more as I watch, I am busy, I am teaching eight classes, I am distracted, but I found myself irritated at several times. And the last thing I like to be is irritated when watching wrestling. And I don't know if it's just the state of mind I'm in, how tired I am. Or if the the building has been abandoned. Uh, Vince McMahon. Uh, oh my goodness. At times just the Vince McMahon of my childhood has returned. Where he's just yelling and screaming for no reason. There's nothing to yell and scream about. Some of the matches. The golden era. I was flipping through one of the Rawls in 93. And they inducted. I had a video inducting Andre the Giant into the Hall of Fame. And I thought my God. The golden era feels as far away as WCW, the Legacy Series. But at the same time, there are some talented people up here. But the question that I am posing to myself as I'm beginning to think out loud is how much better could it be? They have the big boss men for about five more minutes. They have Tito Santana. They have the model Rick Martel. How many more people could they be using in a better way? And we're also going to talk about Brett the Hitman Hart because soon enough I've got a Lex Luger uh, legacy series to do where we're going to talk about how Lex Luger just wasn't good enough or popular enough or over enough or whatever enough to be world champion. And I always thought about Diesel because I never watched the first Bret Hart world title reign. And my friends, it's not hot at all. He is not that over a lot of the time. So... What is this qualification to be the WWF champion, and does it only apply to one person? I don't know. There's a lot of things going on. I think Vince McMahon may have lost his mind. I think Doink is a little bit disturbing. I think a lot of things. I think that Raw announced team is the most irritating thing I've ever seen in my life, and Rob Bartlett is only one portion of the problem. This is not Bobby Heenan and Jesse Ventura anymore. This is not uh, Gorilla Monsoon my lord, what is going on? Be topical seems to be the only message going on. Let's talk about everything happening in society like wrestling fans care. It's an interesting time. I wasn't planning to rant. Maybe I'll be happy by the end of the show. Maybe I won't. Maybe Doink will show up with a present and I'll think, by God, I'm not going to open that present because I watched the last three weeks. There's nothing good inside of it. But that nasty clown Doink, he'll give me the present and eventually I'll open it and there's nothing inside. See, that sometimes feels like WWF right now. There's a big, shiny present, and there's nothing inside. And there's going to be wild animals roaming at WrestleMania, dumping broadcasters and togas onto the ground. And I wonder, are we watching a nightmare out of the mind of a man who thinks he's about to go to prison? I don't know. But we're here, 
and we cover all errors and even the errors in between errors. Ladies and gentlemen, it's 1993. It is the road to WrestleMania. I am the mystic and I am joined by my friend and co-host by God, my learned colleague. Save me, Mr. Mizfan, the brain. Greetings, Miz fan fans, and I don't know how much I can do to save you from the uh, strangeness of Vince McMahon as he uh, works in distraction and disarray in 1993, but I will do my best to make it palatable for you and all the listeners. We are in the era of Raw, and little did you know when they said it was going to be uncooked, they also meant it was going to be unheated, so now we have a lot of... uh, food on our plate and i don't know if it's very appetizing it may indeed be uncooked we're expected to swallow it anyway the cooking of the creative committee is not exactly getting the job done in 1993 and uh i don't know i may enjoy some of this we're going to talk about more than you but certainly i see what you are talking about because we got we got some strange stuff going on in the wwf and by god this is a bonus episode so i even tried to pick the good stuff so if you're still feeling this way then man even the the cream of the crop is not looking too appealing right now in the wwf in the year of 1993 yeah one thing i love about the show is you know we can always talk ourselves down talk ourselves around talk ourselves somewhere but like i said part of it is just the fact that I am tired and distracted, but at the same time, good pro wrestling would almost be even better because if you go into something entertaining in a bad state and it lifts you up, you're all the more appreciative. But there were definitely moments where one of these Lex Luger matches, I was actually enjoying seeing Lex Luger, but I could not concentrate. Like the, It's like the announce booth. Their only goal was to keep you from paying attention to what was happening in the ring. <laughs> the state of WWF commentary is horrible that's for sure i even put that in my notes at some point and man we are we are far far from the days of uh the golden commentary that we had before where it seems like they could not miss with any combination of their main people and now my god uh it, it's just about as bad as it's been uh say perhaps maybe some recent stuff and I'll, I'll leave that up to other people to decide but man it, it, there's some poor Poor commentary coming off of Monday Night Raw in the early days. It feels like being loud is not just the thing. Everything is just, oh, we're loud, we're outrageous. And even like you said, they do that little, we're uncooked, uncut, and uncensored. Like, who wants to be uncooked? Like, what? I don't understand the appeal of it. It feels uncooked, and I don't want I don't want my meal uncooked. I just please prepare it. I don't want to be sick, and I feel like I'm going to be sick. So just you know, prepare it prepare it properly, please. Yeah, if you want to compare raw to a plate of uh, uncooked hamburger meats in the early days, you, you would not be entirely wrong. It's so strange because Vince McMahon is doing this on purpose, and we know, like I told you. <laughs> That Rob Bartlett's going to quit because he knows that he's not adding anything to it. But they're just like, they're roasting themselves on one episode and how bad and how bad things are. It's very strange. I definitely have in my notes somewhere. Vince McMahon is sitting here between Rob Bartlett pretending to be Elvis and then Randy Savage just, you know, not in the role that he ought to be in. And uh, I would almost feel bad for him, except he's doing it to himself. Like, both of these people will have to quit on their own for him to uh like get away from them so i cannot feel bad for this man no no and it's just like i said 
And I, I partly I've always liked WrestleMania nine just because like I like the gimmick arenas, but I really had a thought that if you don't take care of a home and it becomes infested and overrun, it's almost like now now watching the road to WrestleMania nine, like those giant like animals dropping off men and togas. It's like nobody is watching the store, nobody is keeping the house, and it's just overrun and infested and. Yet the owner is right in the middle of it, and I have no clue whether he likes it or doesn't like it, or this is the dream of his entire life. And he's like, my God, I'll execute my dream if I don't do anything else. But he's standing in the middle of it, and he's made it this way. I don't understand what's happening. Yeah, if your uh, house becomes infested with uh, Ron Bartlett's, then... (laughs) You have terrible, terrible... Pr- you should probably burn it down at that point and maybe just start a new house. <laughs> We're going to get into it in a minute. And I'm looking at the first match, and it's Big Boss Man versus Doink. And this is also the thing about gimmicks, because, like, we talked about... Big Boss Man's always very much a cop. Like, you know, he's in a cop gimmick with... Uh, with Nails. He's in a cop gimmick with the Mountie. Even part of his Ted DiBiase... But then what happens when you're still like a gimmick gimmick, but you're not nobody cares about you anymore. So it's like a it's a cop versus a clown. And there's only one way like you can go big with that and and maybe be hilarious with that and whatever comes with a cop versus a clown. But it's almost then like, no, it's just two guys wrestling a match at, at the same time. So like Doink is like this super technical wrestler who just like embarrasses all the baby faces. But he's also a clown, and Boston's also a cop, but he's also now just this kind of big guy that you know loses matches. So I, I don't even know how to embrace or approach some of the performances. Yeah, I, I, we talked about this before, I think, earlier in Bossman's run, and really he should have been a great, perfect fit for this era because he's one of the best versions of this thing that they will love in new generation where he has another job, which is not wrestler, but he's also a wrestler. So he should have been a perfect fit. And yet I think this is his last match with the company. I don't know if they just weren't interested in keeping him or what. It's another baffling situation where here's a big guy who clearly uh, doesn't look like he needs to be on steroids. You know, he's just like a big guy and you think they would want to keep him, but instead, no, he will run out the door and yeah, um, I uh, I enjoyed this match, you know, for what it was. But if you want to say that, um, you know, there there's just kind of two weird gimmicks that don't exactly fit together here, then uh, well, you're not wrong. I'll just say that. So I'm just trying to find footing from one match to the other, you know. So like, there's gonna be gimmicks. You could easily have the boss man, you know, frustrated because Doink is coming out harassing people in the crowd. He's coming out when he's not supposed to be. Or if you're just gonna have a wrestling match, you know, you can just have a wrestling match. But I, I just don't know what we're. Go- I don't know what our aim is. You know, like when I watch AEW, for example, I might not like a lot of it, but it's my fault if I watch it and don't enjoy it because they don't. Uh, joke around or like mislead about what they are. I know exactly what they stand for and I know why I'm going to like it and I know why I'm not going to like it. If I watch this WWF in 1993, I know a lot of reasons I'm not going to like it, but I don't know what they're trying to be. Like in one place at the top of the card, 
you got the most, you know, just the most committed world champion. He just wrestles all the time and he's just, he just, he just wrestles and he's just committed. And then you got like the, the, the crazy clown and you got Rob Bartlett, you know, like who, wh- where are we going? Like, where's our focus? What is our driver? What do we stand for? It became more obvious watching how easily that even skeletons and bones Hulk Hogan could come into this WWF and end up in the WrestleMania main event. Not because he should be, but because, my God, the place seems wide open for someone just to come in and take over. Yeah, I mean, uh, look no further than that to see evidence that they they maybe did not have a good idea of what they were doing. Uh, they're, they're, they're grasping at straws here. You know, you've got Brett, you've got, oh, we're going to be all new and all different, and then things aren't working because they really aren't putting in the legwork and, uh, well, you know, Hey, here's this guy we put in the legwork with for all these years. And, you know, now he's bones, but you know, they're good bones. <laughs> so come on, let's put them on top and, you know, maybe it'll work out again. Oh man. So we'll get into it and take it match by match. Cause there's a lot that I probably like. And as you said, there's definitely stuff you like, so we're not, it's not just going to be me complaining, but my God, it's hard too when you're, I think, highly sensitive people and vibes and energies. I just don't like the energy. It's like the, the energy of watching some of this is the nasty boy shirt. All, them, <laughs> all those colors that just are just inside of each other that kind of look like vomit and kind of look like other things. That's my energy at times when, especially raw with those loud announcers being stupid, like yelling. Vince McMahon's, Vince McMahon will yell the same way if Hulk Hogan's wrestling. Andre the Giant at WrestleMania 3, or if there is an enhancement match on the first episode of Raw. <laughs> oh, that nasty voice thing. What a um, disgusting yet uh, somewhat accurate metaphor. I can definitely see where you're coming from with that. <laughs> it's so strange because, as you said, there's so many talented people around still, and yet I don't. it's the opposite, I think, of when they were at their peak, where they were more than the sum of their parts. Now somehow they're less than the sum of their parts. They got all this great stuff going on. And some of it's still good, but, like, none of it is as good as it ought to be, and it's just uh, it's just a very strange time. Uh, they're just waiting for Diesel, I guess, to come oh, in yeah. and, and, and set the tone. So I don't know what to say about first. that. We'll get into it. Uh, we're about to do Bossman Doink. I will just say real quick. I love Luger, obviously, but usually as a heel, I don't like him as much. But Rick Martel might have been my favorite thing on the show. Like I love what he was doing. Mm. I, I said if there, if there was a TNA at this time, they should have signed him and let him behave like that and make him the world champion. <laughs> I would have been all about it. I mean, God knows. I love Rick Martel. Um, yeah, I, it's so strange that he is going to kind of fade off. Like, he'll be around like kind of here and there, but... Um, it's a, it's a failing of the time that there wasn't a place for him to land. So that that's something at least we've got maybe better in the current wrestling scene. Absolutely. So we start off February 27th, 1993. It's an episode of Superstars. As we alluded to, it's the big boss man who seems very much on his way out, going one-on-one with a guy who's kind of taking over the WWF right now, Doink the Clown. Yeah, we've got him coming in here, and uh, we've got Heenan and Monsoon on commentary, so there's your antidote to some of the bad commentary that we will suffer through later. Um, I've, I've talked before, I talked on the show about how much I like Big Boss Man, that, that's well documented. Uh, I've mentioned before just how much I like Doink in this heel gimmick in 93, yeah. when he's played by Matt Bourne, and it's all going to go south when he leaves and they turn him face, but man, if he did take over the WWF, 
I wouldn't cry about it, you know. If we had had Doink uh, as as one of their champions or something, I would have been all for it. I think this is a gimmick. If they had played their cards right, and they couldn't have played it more wrong, if they would played it all right, man, this is a character who could have been around for so many years. I think had just done so much. So it's a shame, but we're gonna we're gonna catch some good Doink in the meantime. Yeah, I don't know if I enjoyed all the matches. I'll have to see with my notes. But this <laughs> is the first one, and my first Doink match. Here's, I said that he should have not only won King of the Ring, but he should have won the WWF title. So apparently I was feeling doink at the start of the show. <laughs> and why shouldn't you? Like, not only is he a great wrestler and like he, he is great. He is in there, I think, being as technical and as skilled as Bret Hart or anybody because he's that good. But also like there's gimmicks and then there's gimmicks and this one is so outlandish, and yet Doink has, like, an Undertaker-like understanding yes. of, like, his weird gimmick and how to make it work. And Matt Bourne just nailed it, I thought. You know, so a wonderful job here on Doink the Clown. He's top-notch. Can you imagine how much better he would be if, like, the whole Raw was not a clown show? You know, <laughs> it's hard to be the evil clown when Rob Bartlett is dressed up like Elvis at the same time. But he's still doing a good job. But if it was, like, more normal times... And the evil clown is walking around in a setting where he should not be, you know. So uh, I think Doink, even with the odds against him, is just outperforming his gimmick 100 to 1. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I don't know. Maybe if he had come, did he come around too late? Would he have been better earlier? I don't know. Something, though. There definitely seems like an opportunity left on the table with Doink, because as you say, he's kind of drowned out a little in all the noise of this era, and not in a good way. Yeah. But at this time, again, obviously he would have been better in some ways, because like you said, Bobby Heenan and Gorilla Monsoon are on the call, so he would have had better announcers, you know, better people to put him over. Mm. I forgot that they would always wonder who Doink was. Um, <laughs> at one point, Gorilla Monsoon says, who does he remind you of, Brain? And he says, a meter made from Marietta, Georgia. And he says, I'm talking about Doink. <laughs> <laughs> Cannot uh, resist getting a last shot in at the Big Boss Man. That's just beautiful. That's history right there. I do feel like Boss Man was really out the door because Doink, Doink is burying Boss Man for the majority of this match. He's just having his way with the Big Boss Man. And there's a time that you wouldn't, you wouldn't work the Big Boss Man over like this. Yeah, that's very true. Bossman, uh, you know, he'll kind of get his moment towards the end. He'll, he'll throw him around a bit. He'll hit those great punches. Doink will do some great selling. But, yeah, a lot of this definitely is Doink um, sort of just uh, stretching him on the mat, doing some yeah. great grounded submission wrestling. I don't know if there's a better heel than, like like I said, a heel clown that comes in and out wrestles the baby faces. <laughs> in one of these matches, I think maybe not this one, but but – I think it was Vince McMahon who was like, you would not expect a man who wrestles like a clown to be a great wrestler, but he, he's a great technical wrestler. So I'm like, okay, yes, I suppose that's true. I mean, regardless of what he wears, he could wrestle how he likes. So, you know, here he is. Yeah, as you said, this is Doink dominating when Bossman comes alive, and it looks pretty stiff at times. Bossman starts laying it in. Doink will retreat to the corner where his coat is. He will grab something that he's able to spray into the eyes of the big boss man and Doink will get the pin on the big boss man. Yeah. Boss man looks like he wrestled uh Tajiri or great Muda in there or something. Cause he's covered in green and uh, Doink uses that to get the victory. So it's a short match. Obviously I think it's a very fun match. Um, it may cause you to ponder 
the uh, gimmicks of the era if you were like the mystic but uh you may enjoy it as well so uh, i put the link out there keep an eye out for it because i think uh it's a pretty fun match absolutely it's a good uh illustration too of where we're going bossman out doink is in and doink will be with us a lot um on this episode we go to raw this is March 1st, 1993 from the Manhattan Center, and we are covering the entirety of this episode. And it kicks off, I think, with the um, either the IC title or the world title. They're telling me the world title in my ear, but I don't believe it. Uh, Bret Hart going one-on-one with Fatu, I think, to prepare himself, I guess, for Yokozuna. Yeah, the future uh, Rikishi. So I guess if you're going to wrestle Yokozuna, who was almost the third head shrinker, then uh, I guess you should fight one of the other head shrinkers, so here we are. Before that, we start off with Vince McMahon, Randy Savage, and Elvis. So Rob Bartlett will not be with us. It will be Elvis Bartlett playing Elvis. And Vince is really bigging up this kind of finding Elvis thing. <laughs> I mean, you have to assume it was his idea, so of course he's going to go all in on it. Um yeah, the Bartlett thing is just a catastrophic failure, and it's incredible to me that they they wanted to keep this guy. Like, what kind of company like is so uh, self harming that they're gonna do this? So I don't know. Very strange. I, I wrote down in my notes that they picked an unfunny comedian so that Vince and Savage could feel funny. <laughs> Not that they are, but um, no. yes. They really they 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 use the they they take the liberties to to try out their their humor I think by having a uh, comedian with them. Oh yes, I believe they are empowered, but they ought not to be. Ought not to be. Well, so well said. <laughs> oh my god! And that's just like I don't want to see Savage like this. I didn't like it as a child, and like I said, I'm always open to seeing it differently as an adult. But some of these things. They, they play out the same way 30 years later as they did originally. Yeah, I think there's no other way to see Savage on commentary. If there's someone out there who wants to defend Savage on commentary, I haven't met him yet. You know, I haven't talked to him. You know, if you're one of them, let me know. But uh, it's not even that he's the worst I ever heard. I think it's sometimes he gets too much um, right. flack for what he did. But it's just not the role for him. He's just not that good. Like... I don't know. I've heard worse. Like, worse is sitting next to him, but he's just not good. Yeah. I think he's not that good, and he's also not that committed to it. Right. I mean, it seems obvious all the time he'd rather be wrestling. Like, it exudes off him. So, yeah. I think maybe the great metaphor for the the issues I'm having with Vince and the vision can, can be played out in this match, where early on, Bret Hart goes off the ropes. Fatu drops down so Brett can go over. Fatu clearly raises up to trip Bret Hart on his way over him. Afa is standing on the opposite side of the ring, and Vincent Mann says, I think he was tripped by Afa. <laughs> ah, I noticed that too. It's like... Is he even watching? Like, I don't even know what's up with Vincent Mann. Yeah, it's so strange. When it's the job of the announcers to watch the match and, like, call it, and you and I are seeing it so much more clearly, it's just strange. And then, yes, of course, he has to yell about it. Like, everything he says is yelling now, so. Oh, my goodness. When we get to the Luger match, like, if that was your first match ever, and I want you folks, I think this is Luger and PJ Walker, because we watched more than one Luger match, but... Mm. So I think that's the one I'm talking about, and I'll make sure. But Probably. Yeah, 
if I told you you never seen wrestling, you never really seen sports, that I told you there's a match that you're going to try to watch, and then there's going to be three people. They're called announcers, and their job is to make sure you can't pay attention to the match. <laughs> you would go away from that believing I had just told you facts. Mm. Anyway, all right. So <laughs> world title matchup: Bret Hart five two here in New York. Um, we already got a little bit. Brett got tripped up early, but Brett's not going to have that. He's going to find his way to come back, folks. He is indeed. Uh, this match definitely has uh, icy title Saturday Night's main event vibe to it as he takes on kind of an unlikely challenger. But uh, it's not bad. I think it's a decent match. Uh, yeah. Definitely get some time to go on. And uh, it is interesting to kind of look over not only Bret Hart, but also the future Rikishi. It always blows my mind he's another one who i can hardly recognize from one gimmick to the other so we'll see a lot of him in the future as we go along here yeah that really is a difficult uh transition to remember because head shrinker fatu is far from that <laughs> physically and uh gimmick wise and just uh yeah there's a lot of distance to go between here and there bret hart almost turns a superplex into a brain buster at one point he does, yeah. I mean, for all we're talking about, Bret Hart is not very hot as champion, and unfortunately he's not, and I can hardly blame him because he's got no angles going on practically, But um, except Owen got hit one time. That was the only thing. But yep. he's still, a, you know, he's, he's impressing in the ring all the time. You know, he, he starts bleeding, I think, out of his nose in this match and just keeps going. Like, he, he's as good as anybody you'd expect to be. Yeah, he has to deal with everybody. We get Fatu and Samu switching up, trying to get a pin on him. But eventually he's able to kind of deal with all three at one point and still come up the victory. I, I say that that partly that comes from that eight and a half years where he was struggling before he became WWF champion. <laughs> Here's my, I find it so strange that Bret Hart has no allies through all of this. Like, he will face folks with... Um, with, with, like, an army in their corner, practically, and, uh, you know, there'll be no Owen, there'll be no Anvil, like, nobody that you would think would be backing up Bret Hart uh, is ever around at this time, so maybe you understand why later on he's going to recruit, like, his whole family to uh, be pissed at the company, because maybe they have a right. And even in a year when Owen and Anvil come after him, British Bulldog will have to return for Bret to even have a companion in that feud. Yeah, yeah, very true. So uh, we'll we'll watch the allies of Bret Hart as we go along. Bret's very much, uh, I think, a loner in his gimmick, and I think he fancies himself a little bit a sheriff of a town. And you know, he comes in and and puts down the law. So not much of a group guy. This this Bret Hart. I had never really thought about that, but I guess he'll be on some well, Survivor Series. He'll have Owen, but you know, we'll see what happens when people have to team up with him. <laughs> You know, so will that be his whole family? Like, who else is on that team? It might be all hearts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, some of his lesser-known brothers teaming up with him there. So, yeah, I'm not sure if he ever is with people. Like, if he collabs with anyone outside his family. Yeah, I think uh, everyone's got to be married in there, at least. Or, uh, I guess Pillman, eventually, will just be kind of like someone who was trained there and not actually married to anyone. But still, yeah, almost entirely aligned with family members. And, hey, when you've got 37 and they're all wrestlers, I guess, why would you ever go outside the family? Yeah, that's unbelievable, though. This, we're talking about his entire career because he's in the Hart Foundation up till now. So he goes almost his entire wrestling career with never 
collaborating outside his family. I have never thought about that in my life, but that's a very interesting point that you make. Yeah, yeah, absolutely so. So if Bret Hart wants to come in and be sheriff of the town with nothing but his family, you think he would have brought a bigger gun, but uh, here he is. <laughs> he's going to do what he can. And he gets it done. Like He's got one head shrinker wrapped into ropes, and he gets the sharpshooter, and he maintains and retains the heavyweight title. So you know, for a long time, maybe he doesn't need anybody. Yeah, I mean, it's a decent match. He gets the victory. Uh, maybe he at WrestleMania, though, he will regret his uh, lack of, of backup. Yes. <laughs> he will get backup in the least welcome form possible. <laughs> yeah. And never forget, fans, he signals for Hulk Hogan to go into the ring and take oh, care of things. he's waving him on, and that's, <laughs> oh, my God, yeah. We're going to have to spend a minute on that when we go through it. I also noted, and you're not going to want to hear this, but this is just the, what I saw at one point. At one moment, Elvis looked like Greg Valentine in Rhythm and Blues. <laughs> That hurts me to hear, but you're not wrong. They they got the same uh, hair, at least, yeah. and uh, the big face. But uh, I'll tell you what, I think Greg Valentine would have been funnier on this yeah. show. So there's that. Is it weird that, like, he's also going to be replaced pretty much by another Elvis impersonator? Is Jerry Lawler an Elvis yeah. impersonator? <laughs> what a world. Oh, my. I don't know. Um, I, I will leave it up to our listeners to decide if that is true or not. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, our control center is brought to us by Ico Pro. Oh, yeah. They're really oh. building up this Money Inc. versus Mega Maniacs uh, feud. You'd think it'd be uh, the main event for as much time as they spend on it. You know that they say later in the show that, that WrestleMania is a double main event, right? Oh, yeah, that's true. They do say that. Because I had a question course. for you, and I don't know the answer. Is Hulk Hogan the only person <laughs> to ever be in, like, the, I don't even know how to say this, but the double main event, and then that guy is the kind of, like, the, the guy in both of the matches, that ultimately. <laughs> Hulk Hogan is the double main event, yeah. all by himself. <laughs> yeah, I, I think he's got to be the only one that ever went that far, and he did it at the least deserving possible time, so, yeah. I was trying to think of other times, and even, like, Weirdly, Hogan and Jarrett is not the same thing because it's, people ordered the pay-per-view to watch Hulk Hogan versus Jeff Jarrett. You know, Hulk, uh, Booker T and Jeff Jarrett is made after the match in the shoot by Vince Russo. So that's not a double main event. So when has there been a booked double main event and one person is in one of the matches, but he's ultimately in both of them and he prevails at the end of the one he's not in? I mean, yeah, if you want to be technical, it's not like uh, people bought this show to see Yokozuna versus Hogan, um, but... Uh, yeah, that's, that's a good point. It, it, it feels like this is a very overpowering example, though, so I think the spirit of what you're saying is true. Yeah, and there wasn't a double main event, at least at the Bash at the Beach. Like a schedule. <laughs> there wasn't even one schedule. main event at Bash at the Beach. It was all yeah. just a pile of crap. <laughs> Well said. It would just be ironic, though, if the only other one was Jeff Jarrett after driving Hulk Hogan out of WCW. So the first would be Hogan, and the second would be Jeff Jarrett driving Hogan out of I mean, there's a lot of TNA that nobody knows about, so you can't say Jeff Jarrett didn't do it at some point, too. So. Dear God. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. What is going on? So this guy crushed, man. He's on the beach in his wet shorts, and... Uh, He's teasing the announce team because it's very cold in New York and it's very warm where he is. I was thinking, is like, Crush, I, I don't know if he's actually in Hawaii, but, you know, it is the middle of winter 
And so he got a nice, like, plane ticket to somewhere nice to go film this vignette. So I guess uh, good for you, Crush, um, with your bad accent and your, uh, you know, he's crushing a coconut here because he's crush and he crushes things. And, man, is that not the stupidest thing, maybe? <laughs> like, I know that's a big scope, but you want to talk about things which are not, like, something which is both simple and stupid. I don't know if Crush... And his gimmick of crushing things. I don't know if there's anything dumber than that. I think the dumbest thing about it is not even it, but also the fact that when you see someone who's like, I'm crushed and I like to crush things, you think, oh, here's a here's an era where it's all gimmicks, no backstory, no human beings. But man, the gimmick comes out of his backstory. Like he came on with those vignettes saying, when I was little, I like to crush things. So this is like a detailed wrestler that they have created with a backstory. <laughs> And it leads to him doing this. I think we know more about Crush's history than the Undertaker's at this point. Yeah. You know, he's, he told us his whole his whole life basically, which led him up to be a, a man who crushes things from Hawaii. I remember the first time I saw that as a child and just watching it, and I remember that quote exactly. Like when I was little, I liked to crush things, and it's just I didn't know how to react to it because okay, like you know, it's good or bad or neither, <laughs> but like why? All right. And then it becomes, it's all so he can do a submission hold, but the, the focus is on the head, I guess. <laughs> I am very grateful that your young wrestling fandom survived this period, because uh, I think many folks did not. So I'm glad that you're here today to do this show with me. I really wish there was a counselor who could just... <laughs> I, 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 part of me feels like this is Vince McMahon losing his mind and having a breakdown, and we're seeing it through the characters running around. Huh? I think that... I would give more credence to that if he would not recur many of these same mistakes throughout his whole career. That's a fair point. Okay. So we go from Crush, who is very mad at Doink still because, you know, reasons, to Doink the Clown again, who's kind of carrying the company. And he's going to take on another guy who seems to be an enhancement talent on Raw, even though he's better than that, Mr. Coco Beware. Yeah, Coco Beware got firmly thrown across that line that you've talked about, where if yeah. you existed before this time and you're not Hulk Hogan, then you're, you're nobody now. So um, it's a shame. You know, we, Coco is always good. He's great at what he does, at least. But uh, I don't know if he gets a, a piece of offense in this entire match. Yeah, Doink dominates here. Um, a one-legged Boston Crab becomes an STF. And I had the question. Is Doink the Clown the excellence of execution? <laughs> I think he may be. I, I, I don't, he, he might be more over than Bret Hart, so maybe he is by that standard. I think uh, when he, when Jerry Lawler and Bret Hart entered their program, Jerry Lawler is going to sit the court jester on Bret Hart, and we're going to get our Bret Hart-Doink match, if memory serves. Yeah, we will see that at least once, if not more, and uh, I'm actually looking forward to that. That's good stuff. Yeah. I, I don't know about you, but... I think the stump puller might be better than the uh, sharpshooter as well. So, mm. Especially since the new gimmick is Bret Hart can't put the sharpshooter on anybody who's over like 250 pounds or either over six foot three. So, you know, it has a lot of limitations. And ultimately he gets the sharpshooter, but, you know, it's really a lot of heartache in trying to figure out if he'll be able to. So, Indeed. And uh, I never heard that with the stump puller. You know, you slap that <laughs> on and uh, – Man, that that hold is nuts. Like, it's so simple. Nobody really uses it, but it's like, sit on a guy's neck and then, like, make them uh, kiss their own foot practically. Like, it just looks so painful to me. Yeah. Man, this guy, Doink, too. I like the carrying around this gift. Uh, just, he's always got something new, something fresh going on. 
So that's interesting. But then, like I said, like when you're going to have Elvis interview Doink, it's hard to say. Like, all oh, that Doink's very strange, isn't he? <laughs> right. <laughs> so the strange is happening already. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, I get kind of some Jake Roberts vibes with Doink as well. So I don't Like, there's something mm-hmm. really good there. And instead they got him out here, like, throwing a pie at fake Elvis. And it's just, uh, like, he does it, I think, as well as anyone possibly could. But what can you do with that? Like, you're sort of limited. Yeah, but watch the Bret Hart match. And I, Doink putting the pie in the face of Rob Bartley gets a bigger ovation than Bret Hart got in his title match. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, I have no idea, like, the history of this, so it's probably not true. But it just occurred to me, if Fitz McMahon had a chance to, like, pull in a bunch of non-wrestling fans for this show, he probably would have taken it. Maybe that's the reason. They they don't really react to wrestling, but they'll react to, like, the weird stuff. I would have thought New York would be big to, the, just because of the, like, uh, deconstructing the Hulk Hogan-type character. But they, they, at least in this building, they're not doing that. <laughs> I mean, we're a couple months in. If those guys started coming at the start, I don't know if they'd still be coming now, you know. So, yeah. who knows? Uh, we got Ico Pro and Hasbro commercials, so, you know, shout out to people who were watching back then, the old Hasbro figures. I love them. Galoob and Hasbro. Uh, don't get me started on Jax and, and, and the later years of my life. So, <laughs> Vince McMahon and Money Incorporated is my lord. Uh, like, when your top heels in the company get an Irwin chant, you know, that's how, that's the kind of heat you're getting in this company, and that's not my kind of heat. I never even understood that chant. Like, we were taunting him with his first name, and he's yeah. not supposed to like it. It's weird. He hates that name. So, like, why not come to the company with a different name? You know, it's a, it's a place where you don't even have to have a name. But like he came <laughs> as Erwin R. Scheister. He's not, he's, not, he's not, the last name doesn't bother him at all, but, you know, <laughs> that, that damn Erwin. And, you know, this is the kind of error. Like, I, I hate, I, when I was a kid, the Burger King, do you know the Burger King chants? Yeah, for Lawler. Like, when that's your top heel stuff, it's just, I keep nasty boys in their stupid shirt keep coming in my mind, but it's just, <laughs> it's Nickelodeon shit, and, you know, which is okay, but if that's your, like, these are the top heels in the company, then it's probably not gonna be my first on my must-watch list. Indeed. I mean, I suppose we could be grateful for the fact that I think the Nasty Boys are already gone. Is that possible? I don't want to say it, and they appear, like, all over WrestleMania or something. But if they're not gone, they're close. So at least we can be thankful for that. But, yeah, they left their shirt, unfortunately. So. <laughs> left their damn shirt. Come on, guys. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so. And especially, okay, so this is. I don't know how to say this because. I guess the two biggest feuds are the two, the two villains right now are those our double main events, Yokozuna, you know, who is going to be on a rampage, which we'll cover on the show, and then it's Money Incorporated. And as a kid, it's weird because I didn't like Hulk Hogan and I didn't like Bruce Beefcake, but like this angle definitely had my attention because I really thought that they had tried to like break his face into a bunch of pieces. So, like, it was hard for me to watch this stuff as a child because it was like, oh, my God. Like, I really feared, like, the idea that his face was going to be laying on the mat and I was going to see that, you know. <laughs> but then when you take that that fear away and then you watch it later, like, dear God, I just, Money Incorporated, 
I guess it was an idea that I look forward to because I like both of them, but this is not working for me. No, that that that's the tale of money ache to me, and I think that you, um, I'm gratified in a way that you have also experienced this. I wonder if other um, viewers will as well. So please uh, leave your feedback in uh, LP forums or uh, Twitter. I'm at Spectral Gent. Talk to me about Money Inc. Um, to me, on paper, they always look interesting. Like, they got a big gimmick. It seems like it fits them. You know, there are definitely times that I like Rotunda. Uh, there's absolutely times where I love Ted DiBiase. So it seems like it's going to work, and it never really does work. So I don't know. Like, they'll be around uh, more this year. They'll feud with the Steiners, I think. Maybe we'll get something out of that just because it's the Steiners. But, yeah, they are just very much not what you hope they would be when you actually sit down and watch them. And yet they're one of those teams that fool you. Cause I think if you stop watching, you go away for a while and then you see them again, you're like, Oh yeah, I, they must be good. Like, you know, it must've just been me. So they're, they're a team that fools you, I think. Yeah. And why not? Because they're so talented. And this is again, yeah. what I posed at the beginning. I'm sorry to viewers. If it's, if it's going to be an entire show of me complaining, but <laughs> As you know, wouldn't be the first, you know, that's what they come for sometimes. It, but it hits you that this is like, they got Rick Martel, they got Tito Santana, they got Ted DiBiase, they got, you know, Mike Rotunda, they got so many people who are so talented, they got Big Boss Man, they got Lex Luger, they got the Steiner Brothers, you know, they got Hulk Hogan, they got Bret Hart, like, there's so many stars in this company, and you don't really know it when you watch it. Mm. And I hate the topical stuff. Like this is, they go on this American, this American Express CEO that, you know, he stepped down and they're giving him millions, but to Ted DiBiase, that's not a lot of money. They do, they do that thing for like half the promo. <laughs> and it's like, what is going on right now? Like you just broke Beefcake's face and Hulk Hogan's back and we're doing this whole topical thing on American Express CEOs. Yeah, I mean, um, I I appreciated that part simply because it uh, stopped us from having to talk about Hogan and Beefcake for a few minutes, so uh, I'll be grateful for that at least. But yeah, I mean, certainly what they achieved with you as a kid is what they were going for, because uh, we didn't cover it, because God forbid we should listen to more Hogan and Beefcake than we have to, but I, I know that they really sold the fact that Beefcake like almost died and had his face like destroyed and like screwed together by, by metal screws and such. So they really tried to sell it, I guess. And I don't know. We'll watch WrestleMania. We'll suffer through that match and uh, just see how poorly they kind of delivered on that. But man, they really tried to sell it. So, you know, I guess that was the point here. I didn't understand why he was wrestling. Like nothing seemed important enough to me that like his face is gonna break and then like the skeleton with the bruised eye at WrestleMania, I didn't feel like he could like take care of him. So it just it hit a lot of heat with me, but it was like I don't wanna see it because it just seems irresponsible and also I don't wanna see pieces of his face laying on the mat, you know. It was very but it was very serious to me, you know, as a kid watching it. I always question why Brutus Beefcake has to wrestle. Yeah, so <laughs> Uh, anytime after this oh my god and then these nasty heels they're gonna say that they did this because they're compassionate i don't <laughs> think they were being sincere miss fan <laughs> oh my god my favorite part of this promo is ted dibiase uh, telling the truth and saying that he's grateful that they took jimmy hart away 
Yes. Now Jimmy Hart's with Hogan and Beefcake. He says, you just cut our losses because Jimmy was an overpaid gopher and he's useless. So thank you, Ted DiBiase, for admitting it. Yes. It's also hard to watch Vince McMahon knowing that the Ted DiBiase character is Vince McMahon. And he's like, you you uh, you don't think that's enough money for that CEO? And it's like, okay, Vince, be more offended by Ted DiBiase. <laughs> Yeah, that's um, that's a good point. Uh, God, you think Vince McMahon surely was not thinking that anymore, though, because um, yeah. I don't think he could uh, identify himself with this uh, like mid card half jobber <laughs> guy. Absolutely, I think this is where we realize that there is going to be a tag title match. So we got our double main event for WrestleMania Nine, and we're also told a lot that this is going to be the biggest pay per view in WWF history. So likely it will be so. <laughs> definitely is going to be so oh I thought God. Tony Schiavone and WCW were the only ones who exaggerated their pay-per-views though <laughs> uh, well uh, Vince McMahon didn't say greatest night in the history of our sport so I guess he ah. gets a pass so gotcha. PJ Walker is another name from Enhancement Talent that I really remember put him in with Barry Horowitz and Jumpin' Joey Mags from this era. P.J. Walker, he's up next, and he's taking on the narcissist. Alexa. He also uh, might be known by another name, uh, Justin Credible of um, yes. ECW. So he will go on to actually do do some more things than uh, some of these other enhancement guys. Not that they couldn't, though. Right, yeah, the absolutely. Old Jumpin' so. Joey Mags was fun. He was fun. <laughs> he was managed by uh, Teddy Long for a little while, so. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah he, right. he had a little thing going on. He's also, uh, Luger named him as maybe the most difficult person to put in the torture rack. <laughs> <laughs> this is the guy who put in, uh, you know, the giant in the torture yeah. rack, so let's think about that. For, oh, my God, why? Did he say why? Yeah, he, he says the, the ones that are, have a very low base and, like, they can't hardly help you get up there and you got to kind of reach way down and try to like, get their body way up, whereas, like, Big Show or somebody would just slide right onto your shoulders. Okay, man, jumping Joey Mags, like, <laughs> they should take his, his, his gimmick his nickname from him <laughs> I, yeah like, oh my god like that shouldn't be like i don't care what the reason is i don't think joey mags was uh was helping lex luger very much in that that scenario so well we will get uh, um i'm not sure if you've heard about this one or not but there, i think luger was pretty much bigging himself up over like guys like owen hart and uh Ta- i don't know who all but like it was when luger and bulldog were challenging owen hart and yoko so every time Luger tries to do a power move to Owen, Owen will just no sell it, and Luger can't pick him up. And then when Bulldog tags in, he'll like he'll go easy, and it's like Bulldog's throwing Owen around, and Luger can't lift him off the ground, so he like rips him for an entire an entire tag match. And I don't know if that's on TV or if that was a house show, but that's a kind I, of famous I hope story. A house show that seems a little unprofessional for TV, but <laughs> yeah. that is funny, and I'm sure Luger uh, rubbed people the wrong way, so it's yeah. not shocking that that would happen. So. All right, so we'll go with this matchup. This is the thing. Like most people believe that fair enough, Luger's greatest time when he was when he was U.S. champion as a heel. Even Luger said he gets most of when people request like he signed autographs, they bring like the U.S. title stuff. Mm. And but I've always preferred him as a babyface. Yeah. But aside from the slam on the Intrepid till SummerSlam '93, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put that to the side. I would take the narcissist gimmick ten times over the rest of his babyface run in WWF. I think 
Well, after 93, I'm not that familiar with it, so I'm really just being struck by this now, the fact that he's going to continue this, like, American thing yeah. forever. Like, yes. <laughs> like that's going to drag on for almost two years, maybe more. The rest of his run. Oh, my God. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> yes. And even that's Luger, so like dumb. I said, who knows nothing, thought it was a one-night thing. <laughs> That's shocking to me. Like, I I think I had it in my mind that he, like, kind of quietly dropped it after that. But, no, he's going to be stuck with it, isn't he? So, geez, yeah. like, an American who, who didn't get the job done and then will, like, continue to not get the job done ever. So, yeah. great. Good gimmick. No, no. Yeah, get behind that. And then, like, we're not going to watch these because I hate them so much. But, like I mentioned last <laughs> week, he has, he has these, these little, like, one-minute, two-minute, three-minute sit-downs with Vince McMahon, like, who is Lex Luger, or him on the bench with Vince McMahon, and he just comes off like such a creep, because oh, it's just SummerSlam is over, though, and, like, they're laughing about everything, and just, I don't know, he, he's never smirked and laughed more than he did when he was supposed to be sincere, and then, <laughs> like, he's doing it over not winning the title, it's just the worst television I've ever seen. Like, I've never seen a worse gimmick for a human being in my entire experience watching wrestling than this all-American, completely sincere Lex Luger. It's just the worst. And then he'll go from, he goes from the all-American at some point to made in the USA, so they, they give him a little bit of a different gimmick later. <laughs> Ooh, how different? Oh, my God. A, a same different, but, you know, he gets a different <laughs> nickname, I guess. He's a natural smirker. Like, just look at his face, and he can't help but smirk it yeah. half the time. So you don't want to push in close when he's supposed to be a baby face on Lex Luger's face. Yes, that's my point. And except, like, this is why 95 to 97 is so good, because he's the most popular man, maybe in professional wrestling, definitely in WCW for a little while. But he's, like, he's still Lex Luger. Like, he's, mm. he's in between. Like, he, it's the blue-collar thing. Like, you can smirk and like yourself and still be the hardest-working guy to stop the NWO because you love WCW. Right, right. But you can't be super duper made in the USA, red, white, and blue, and then just be creep, have that creepy look on your face. <laughs> like it just doesn't work. And it, it almost when you watch him and Vince, who seem like the two most insincere baby faces ever, sitting on a bench together after WrestleMania. Like if these are the baby faces, my God, go Yokozuna, do your thing, man. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. And, you know, it's also the reason, like, his whole demeanor, one of the reasons it worked so well with Sting, who was, like, the incredible, yes. like, sincere baby face, he could be the counterpoint to that, he could have all those great runs where he was a bit underhanded and Sting was maybe uh, clueless or maybe just, like, tolerating it or, or what have you. So, yeah, play to your strengths, for God's sakes. Yeah, trying to make Lex Luger's biggest run the sincere red white and blue is like trying to make sting's biggest run a sophisticated character <laughs> try that out and see what happens uh you just can't book people against their strengths i'm watching right now at wcw 99 and sting is a heel and it's the stupidest goddamn thing i ever saw because mm. like i don't know if he doesn't know how to be a heel or he just doesn't feel like being a heel, but, like, he can't stop. Like, he'll he'll woo to the crowd, and he'll just, like, do everything the same and just, just never even try to be a heel. So book people to their strengths is all I'm saying, for God's sakes. Like, it's not that complicated. Yeah, and 
This Lex Luger booked against his strengths is supposed to be the greatest booking anyone ever had. <laughs> you know, so we're going to really drill down later. And I will say, like, I don't even dislike Sting, especially in his later years, but we just, we're recording this, I think, the day of All Out. Yeah. And they just had that ring clearing with Sting and Darby Allen and CM Punk, and then Sting gets the microphone, and he's trying to, like, you know, trying to do the thing and at the end he, he's got to say like when when darby allen and cm punk get in the ring it's gonna be showtime folks i'm like you're such a fucking clown like <laughs> doink's not a clown sting you're a clown uh, but like try to make him the most sophisticated character and then let that be his biggest push and see what happens <laughs> uh you remember avery from lop yes right in there for t- yeah uh, tim rose now on twitter going by his shoot name but uh he tweeted something about that that I thought was spot on. He said, Sting, it's been about 30 years. You can stop trying to make Showtime work as a catchphrase because it never did. So, And you know who would hate that more than anybody in the world? CM Punk. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I, I, I like that AEW does it. I like Sting. I've always liked Sting better, weirdly, from TNA onward because he, he's been a better Maybe post Christianity, post getting well, not post Christianity, like selling out everybody to their wives and stuff. <laughs> post post, you know. Right. I've always liked him in that role, but I see him punk would would hate this like the CM Punk gimmick character that we know, and maybe CM Punk would just he would not be going from you know for Mr. Stinger. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Um... If you see, if you watch that, you probably saw Stan LaPunk like went in the crowd and somebody offered him like a drink. He kind of made a face and he smiled. He's like, no, <laughs> like, yeah. I feel like he'd have the same reaction to staying trying to do like a Showtime promo with him. He'd just be like, ha, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> it's yes. ridiculous. So that's going to be the test if they're going to have a long baby face run because in AEW especially, it's like really nice, really be be really nice, be really uh, forthcoming in your niceness. And I think that there's a there's a part of CM Punk and that this part gimmick and part real person who's going to uh, kind of sh- show up through him sometimes. So I'm, I, I'm interested in how he's going to negotiate himself in the long run. Yeah, I'm interested as well because God knows we know that Punk can uh, be a heel, um, you know, on the top level. Uh, straight Edge Society is some of the best stuff that I've seen from Punk back, uh, God, more than 10 years ago now. Mm. But uh, one thing AEW tends to do is they don't try to steer against the skid, against the tide. You know, when yeah. things are going well, they don't tend to, like, disrupt it. So it'll be interesting. I mean, right now it's unthinkable that he would go heel. So I really don't think they would turn him just for the sake of it. To me, that's kind of like a WWE-style move that I don't think they would do. But down the line... You know, you don't know what's going to happen. So I am I, curious what they will do with him long term. I would think Daniel Bryan's going to be a babyface, too, though. And he's going to have probably close to CM Punk reactions and he's going to be a natural in it. So sure, sure. It's going to be interesting to see because that's that's a lot of weight on the side of the babyfaces. That is true. Yeah, they're going to have to negotiate around that. I don't know if that means heel turns maybe for some other people yeah. first or what, but uh It'll be interesting, you know. They they got some good stuff going on, so I appreciate what they're doing. <laughs> Don't want to pay for their pay per view, and I. But it, it looks like Daniel Bryan's going to show up at All Out, at least according to reports, instead of New York, because probably partly because New York, who knows if they'll even be able to do it by the time they get there or what it will right, be. Right. But man, that's to me, just from a feel good standpoint, 
Like, I'd love to see him punk stuff with the history, but Daniel Bryan is just such a... Like Daniel Bryan fits AEW better in some ways than CM Punk because he is just a, kind of that... Uh, there's something natural. Like, Daniel Bryan could naturally do these things the rest of his life and just have feel-good moments and not stretch his character at all. Right. So I, I'm interested in what he'll do. I feel like Christian is the biggest front of a main event, so I feel like something has to be going down at the end of the show because... Adam Page, you know, disappeared, and then we got Christian, who could not, in my mind, could never beat whoever their world champion is, uh, Omega. Omega. You know, you know, as far as storylines, like, I, I don't think anybody would be ordering all out because Christian's about to become AEW champion. Sure, yeah, I mean, back when the, the pay-per-view was, like, Omega, Christian, and now I guess they got like Young Bucks, Lucha Bros, which I've seen, and I, you know, I don't think they bring yeah. up the best of each other. Like just for that, I was like, ah, eh, I don't know if I'm gonna order this show. But then, you know, Punk versus Darby, I gotta order just for that, and then Brian might come in, and now like to say nothing of like Eddie Kingston and Miro, who who have like really grabbed my attention in the last few weeks as well, and uh, I don't know, they they once again have really convinced me. I'm definitely gonna be watching this show. I'm gonna be paying out for it. I don't know why I'm dropping names. What is Dean Ambrose's name? John Moxley. John Moxley. Doesn't it feel a lot like the the end of the show was go like the you knew at the end of the show something was going down on that night? Yeah, when he first showed up. Yeah, yeah. yeah there was definitely a feeling of that. Hey, you want to talk about like adding some weight to the heel side? Well, he's been acting a lot more uh, cranky lately, so it could be some interesting mm. stuff there as well. Yeah. I remember when you first like because I was I did not follow the Indies I didn't follow Ring of Honor I wasn't watching much wrestling and when I heard when I first heard that Daniel Bryan is supposed to be a superstar that was another notch and I'll never watch pro wrestling again <laughs> and that is one that I'm glad to be wrong with like when they, when he first had that like I'm a rookie I'm feuding with Miz I was Team Miz 100 percent everything <laughs> he said I took like as a shoot but Daniel Bryan grew on me and he's just another person. I think I love how Daniel Bryan loves the business. Mm, yeah. You know, I don't always support it. There was times I was like with Beefcake as an adult, I was like, Daniel Bryan, please retire. But, you know, it <laughs> seems like he's supposed to be able to wrestle health with health, you know. So it's such an interesting time. You know, he also feels like he was a WWF guy to the point of their their uh, reality TV shows, which shows you're really a, like a lifer when they put you in their their highest spots, like like the reality <laughs> TV shows. The true main event, yes. Yeah, and so, man, it, it's something, and it's gonna mean, you know, Jim Cornette's probably just getting to the point where like I, I he was sour on part of the way they did the Punk thing, but he still tried to defend Punk. So he's probably getting just close to where he's gonna start knocking Punk, but then he's gonna have to have two or three weeks where he's going to have to talk positive about Daniel Bryan. So they're going to get like six weeks out of Jim Cornette where he's going to have to say something positive. <laughs> a miracle in and of itself. So uh, what what can't they do? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. no. I've... These are his ring of honor, guys, you know, for God's sake. <laughs> I mean, I don't think maybe Bryan. I don't, I don't know what the overlap is there exactly. But, That's um, all yeah. Um, no, his his ring of honor guy is Davey Richards. So let's let's oh, wow. on that for a moment. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, yeah, folks. He was, he was so huge on Davy Richards, I guess. So let's leave that alone. 
Don't you feel special at home listening to this, knowing full well who did or did not come out all out and probably weeks ahead of time, like what they did with it. And we're oh. just so dumb not to know any of that. Yes. Months, months away. But uh, here's a little glimpse into the past. So I think this is airing in October, uh, if not later. So. Oh, wow. <laughs> we're yeah. far ahead in our recording. But uh, yeah, here's some nice thoughts from the past for you. Well, you could be listening to the broadcast on Raw as they try to talk about anything other than Lex Luger versus P.J. Walker. <laughs> We're doing the same, I suppose. So here we are. Yes. Luger, though, you know, he feels like a superstar. He feels – I like – they did a lot of things right. I don't like the narcissist gimmick. I don't know why I can't be Lex Luger. But beyond that, like, the fact that he comes in and dominates, you know, but they got this whole suspicion – like this is top WWF stuff as far as like the minute a heel comes in and is knocking people out, if he didn't have a steel plate in his arm, he would still have a steel plate in his arm. <laughs> There'll be a lot of uh, speculation. I think Grill Monsoon, who knows all, will tell us he probably has something in his uh, his wristband or something. So yes. they would have found some way to make it happen. Yeah, he's got he's got a foreign object in the wristband that or the elbow pad that they made him wear because he was already knocking people out. <laughs> I can hear that. Yeah, I think Luger does well. I um, I don't like his gear with the little, weird little tassels like yeah. on the butt. That's that's strange. But he does a fine job, and uh, I really liked after the match when he like bullies the guy in front of the yeah. mirror, and he's like, "This is an average American who makes me sick." And that, that was yeah. a nice piece, I thought. And that is like Luger though, being the W. Like that's him being the narcissist. Like that's yeah. him playing the gimmick and doing it. So when you get, when you give him a gimmick that actually fits him, like he's not only Lex Luger, but he, he becomes the gimmick and he does it well. So, you know, how long does it take to realize that the worst gimmick in the world for somebody is the worst gimmick? And apparently the answer is two years until they walk out of the company and then you get offended because they left. <laughs> oh my God. If he hadn't left, I, how long, I guess supposedly they were going to turn him heel soon, right? Like that's the story in 95, but... I don't know because okay, yeah. they turned Bulldog heel, so they might have put him in a feud with Bulldog because they were the allied powers together. Isn't there something... I'll just... I'll, I'll wait. We'll get there and we'll kind of see for yes. ourselves what happens, so... Absolutely. That's going to be fun in itself because yeah. I, it always hurts. Nothing hurts me more in life than the what might have been things with, with people and things I care about. And I will always be glad he went to WCW, obviously. But, you know, it, I will always also be curious. Were they about to finally do something decent with him for the first time in two to two and a half years? Yeah, I feel like they were teasing it, but I don't know the details. So I'm not going to speak uh, outside my knowledge. We will get to it all yes. uh, in time. Okay, so what made me happy is that, like I said, I, was, I didn't think the Bret Hart thing blew me away. And nothing really does on the show, but... It's kind of nice that we start off with Bret Hart and we end the show with Lex Luger and the Steiner Brothers. <laughs> Your true main event, straight from WCW. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Vincent Mann tells us coming up is the Steiner Brothers, Rob and Scott Steiner. Does he really say that? Oh, my yes. God. I missed that. He, he had Rob Bartlett on his mind. So. <laughs> <laughs> so they're taking on Dwayne Gill and someone. Are they brothers or just teammates or... Dwayne Gill and Barry Hardy, I, they're just they're just right. folks with similar hair. So, gotcha. Hey, this one is, is uh, Gilberg of the future, so that's you know that's a preview oh, wow. for you. Okay, this is uh, to me uh, just an exhibition match where the Steiners show off their wrestling moves. Absolutely, I could watch Scott Steiner throw folks up over his head 
all day. Like, once again, he impresses tremendously, and just you can see why they thought maybe this guy could have been, uh, you know, a big singles guy years before he actually was. Yeah, he's unbelievable, and he's original. And what you don't get in the business very much is original. But who in the world is doing Scott Steiner's stuff at this time? Yeah, who's doing it now? Hardly yeah. anyone can. Like, he, he's just one of those talents who pops off, like, physically with the things he can do. You know, he, he is in that upper echelon. This is another one, though, that why we do the Legacy Series. You won me over. Like, the idea that I would ever compliment Scott Steiner in the last years of WCW was, like, anything that came after 97 (laughs) to me was straight garbage, and it got worse by the year. And there's so much Scott Steiner stuff to me that, like, proves the right place, right time. That man could have made money for a wrestling company. I won myself over, I'll tell you, because I I didn't intend that that would be a talking point. Uh, I came into... Um, for for years to me, for years to me, Scott Steiner's name was Mud because mm. I came in in 2003 and I was like, who is this guy with like <laughs> his weird body? And he can't do anything. And, you know, he was just the WWE version to me. Like, yeah. that's all I knew. And I was like, man, this guy sucks. Like, who would ever <laughs> like him? And then I saw the Steiner brothers, and I saw his later WCW work. I saw him work literally everywhere else in every other part of his career, and I was like, oh, wait, he's actually awesome. So so that was a nice turnaround for me. That's something I was glad to be wrong about. Yeah. There's nothing better than being someone who can change their mind when they see evidence. And, <laughs> you know, because, like, I'm the same way. Like, I can, I can definitely see times where Scott, he's just so abrasive and overpowering in a way that's just so offensive. And then... Like, I'm talking about, like, some top, top guys, I think. Right place, right time, he would have he would have drew money, you know? I think so, yeah. You know, he would have drew money better than the guy that he went to WWF the job to, that's for sure. <laughs> but that's a whole other conversation. Indeed. Okay, we're done with Raw. The Steiner Brothers, uh, Robin, Robin Scott get the victory uh, to end the show. I can't believe that. Oh my gosh! Yeah, Randy Savage makes fun of him during the match. Like, <laughs> I totally miss. I think I was tuning out the commentary by this point. So. He said that they were taking out their aggression on the opponents because they heard that Vince mispronounced their name. Oh yeah, I remember. He's, oh, he's got a little heat <laughs> with you. So uh, yeah. Unfortunately, we never got that uh, that 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 Steiner versus McMahon match. But oh well. It shows you the truth though, because he does not watch outside his company. So. But Bruce and them have to bring him something, and then he'll, you know, he'll decide, I guess, off of his ears or something. He doesn't, like, he doesn't know anybody or anything. Uh, he's all instinct. I think we said that before. You know, uh, he, he's hyper focused on his own company, which is weird because he still puts like stupid crap on there a lot of the time. But <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What a weirdo. So yes. So now we're going to move about watching various matches. Um, the first one is a guy who was introduced to us again, hit return last week. It's Bam Bam Bigelow, and he's going one-on-one with the Rocket, Owen Hart. Indeed, and uh, I couldn't help put this on. I think it actually airs after WrestleMania, but it's taped before. It doesn't really have any impact on anything because neither of these guys will be at WrestleMania, so I figure, why not? Let's throw it on there. And uh, I don't know about you, like, still Bigelow is Bigelow, and like we talked about last week uh, or last time, um, he doesn't really live up to his reputation, but 
I feel like this was maybe one of my favorite matches on the set, and a lot of that is just Owen. Like, Bigelow does better here, too, I think, than he did in the Bossman match, but man, Owen Hart, for as little as they're kind of treating him as, he is so damn good. He's easily one of the best in the company right now. Owen Hart is another version of what I just said about Scott Steiner. <laughs> like, you know, sure, he's probably got some Japanese influence, some, you know, Mexican maybe, some yeah. whatever the hell they do in Canada. You know, he, he's been around, so it's not like he's just that Owen Hart. But he, again, he has a style that is not completely like anyone ever. Mm. You know, it is Owen Hart style from the beginning. And so, like, I think if I was Vincent Mann, I would almost, like, punish him for some <laughs> of his matches because it shows just how far beyond his push that he really is. I'll say flat out, this match is much better than the Bret Hart Fatu match. Way, I, way better, yeah. Yeah, so take that uh, into consideration for what you will. It is, it absolutely is. Uh, Owen Hart is just, he's just like, he's doing flips before the match. He's like drop kicking and popping up. He's hes all over the place, but he can also suplex and do all kind of other stuff too. You know, he can do submission holds. He's just. Yeah, he, he forces Bigelow down here with a Fujiwara armbar. Yes. And it looks awesome. Like the struggle of it is great, and it feels like it, sh- it was not supposed to even happen or anything, but uh, it does, and it's really good. It's almost too the Scott Steiner comparison to me is the ease and natural. It's almost like, oh, what did I do? I just went out there and wrestled, you know. <laughs> like Owen's not even into the business. Like Bret Hart's whole life is the business. Owen Hart is just doing this to support his family. And yet he comes out and wrestles like this, and you almost get the feeling that he doesn't even know what he's doing, you know. Mm, it's something. Natural talent, beyond belief. There was one Jerry Lawler line that I like because it's so true. He, Jerry Lawler is in the booth, and he's with Vince McMahon and Macho Man Randy Savage, and he says that they could be brainwashed with an eyedropper. <laughs> I'm glad <laughs> you like that because I think we'll hear it about 8,000 more times. That's one I'm of his sure. lines. But, uh, uh, Lawler, yeah. I, Vince, Savage, and Lawler is, I suppose, marginally better than the Raw team, but not by as much as you would think. I am not really a fan of Lawler on commentary, and he reminded me of that in this match. Just a, not even a dime store Heenan. You would probably get him for about a penny, I think, <laughs> if you were looking for Heenan, but you couldn't get the brand. So He's another loud one, too. So his voice is really light and high. <sighs> yeah. So all three of them just... A savage cutting promos, Vincent Mann screaming, and Jerry Lawler high pitched. My worst errors in wrestling are the ones that just irritate me. I've said this for the entirety of every Legacy series. Like you're not going to get my money by irritating me because like life irritates me. I don't go to wrestling to be irritated because I can't find irritation in the world. Right? Yeah, that is what I don't understand. Like this modern way of sometimes like seeking heat just by being unpleasant and yes. like as you say irritating is not something i can ever get into it's not and then what doesn't the only thing that doesn't irritate me is owen hart and he makes up for all of that in this just watch owen hart mute it if you have to yeah, <laughs> put a sheet of paper over bam bam and just watch owen hart do his stuff like he's just, I, was, I, I will say i don't want to we came down hard on bam bam before and i think deservedly so but like i think he does well in this match as well he will pop an enziguri at one point uh, yes. which Owen bumps great for. It looks great. He will do, like, a press slam to Owen, but, like, into the turnbuckle and not the pads, like, the metal bar, practically. And, 
you know, he will pop up Owen Hart high in the air and let him like slam down on his face and on his knee. And, uh, you know, he will do good stuff as well. So this is a very good TV match, I think. And even though Owen is, uh, doing the leg work, I think Bigelow actually does well also. Bam Bam's a guy who gets Bret Hart King of the Ring, maybe. So Bret Hart, yeah. you know, has a, a legendary King of the Ring from what I've heard, you know, and Bam Bam is one of them. So, yeah, yeah. God, who does he wrestle that night? I think he wrestles Bigelow, Razor, and then Perfect. So, yeah. like, what a what a trio of guys to wrestle. So, we'll it's see how that looks. But all three of them are highly esteemed by the same people who I think like put Bret Hart over as if he's wrestling nobody all night. <laughs> yeah. You may be right about that. But we'll <laughs> we'll judge it for ourselves when we get there. I don't know how long Owen's been to Rocket, but they're really emphasizing Rocket Owen Hart every time that they say it. You feel like it's a Vincent Man hand down, like, say Rocket Owen Hart when he's out there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's another uh, drill down. And uh, I. this is the thing, too, because, like, they're handing out – some people have gimmicks, like, for days. Like, we know Crush's life story about crushing things, but Owen Hart is just the Rocket. Why is he the Rocket? I don't know. Shut up. Just say the Rocket a lot. So, <laughs> I don't know. It's It's weird. It's a weird time. Well, I know why Owen Hart's not allowed to talk about himself, but we'll get to that in 1994. <laughs> All right. I don't want to spoil anything for you, but that 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 uh, older brother's not always a always a kind one. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be the headbutt that gets the victory. That will be, I think, Bam Bam's signature move for his entirety of his run. Yeah, that diving headbutt. Harley Race says he regrets he invented it because it's so hard on your neck. So, you know, mm. we'll see a lot of it, unfortunately. But uh, here it is. Yeah, well said. Good, good history behind that. Yeah. Um, we're going to the 322.93 Raw. This is where I saw the Andre the Giant uh, Hall of Fame video. And, man, it's, this era is not a good one, necessarily. But even if it was... When they just all of a sudden start showing you like the stuff that we started with, uh, you're not doing your company any favors by showing me like the 88, 80s, uh, 87, 88 Andre the Giant stuff. Yeah, I mean, uh, just for six years passing, the difference is incredible in this company uh, in just about any way that you can think of. So, putting his I hand miss Andre. Yeah, he puts his hand over the face of Lord Alfred Hayes at one point. <laughs> That's one thing about that era was just so much fun. It felt like a family, a community. Yeah. You know, you just can't hardly beat that. And Andre the Giant, you know, he's just unlike anybody that's ever going to be. And now you got the, you know, the big hairy, the big hairy half man chasing the dead man. But, you know, still Andre the Giant is Andre the Giant. Yeah. It's not the Vince McMahon ejected half the family for being too old arbitrarily. Yeah. (laughs) It's going to hurt your community. They were like they were thirty five years old. They had to go. <laughs> <laughs> you know Logan's Run. Do you know what that is? I don't. Uh, it's an old sci fi show where yeah, when you get to be a certain age, you got a little thing in your body that starts beeping, and then you have to go off to die. So oh, wow. that's pretty that's much something. it. <laughs> that's what they did too. And yeah, yeah. you would be shocked if you're a WWE fan and like you wait and you wait every year till SummerSlam and WrestleMania so the fifty year olds can come back to main event like. <laughs> You, know, you would lose your mind if you watch this era. Yeah, holy smokes. What a difference. I almost wish they'd do that now, but, you know, it, yeah, that's probably too extreme. But, right. uh, yeah. <laughs> no, not after the Logan's run. That's, that's harsh. That's a, that's, well, that's a well, that's a good formula, though, for, for a show or movie, you know. <laughs> yep. Okay, so 322.93, this is Doink the Clown going one-on-one with Kamala. Indeed, and, uh, 
here again, you have two, like, kind of very disparate gimmicks uh, meeting up with each other. So I don't know if maybe this was the idea of, like, everyone will just be an outlandish character and they will meet in, like, weird ways or what. But uh, that's what they're doing here. You got Doink and Kamala and that, um, you know, they're they're going to... How will they interact? I guess we'll find out together. I think if I could give Doink one piece of advice, it would be the advice I give a lot of first-year writing students when they try to write a personal essay. And it's like, some of it needs to be seen and some of it can be telling. Like, it is always showing and telling. And a lot of times when they first write, they put all the showing together and all the telling together instead of, you know, distributing it out through the essay. Mm. And I feel like Doink Doink could stand to not dominate the baby face for the majority of the match putting holds on them like i definitely want to see more back and forth i want to see kamala like getting over on him a little bit more but like that's one pattern that i'm seeing that most of the match with boss man most of the match with kamala is just going dominating and i'd like i would like to see a little more back and forth well i'm good news he's gonna wrestle crush and i think he'll have to uh <laughs> give back and forth i don't know if that's actually a good thing or not though so we'll see when we get there uh, Doink is definitely playing with Kamala here. He tries to give him a gift, then he pulls it away, and Kamala, like, I'll just say again, look at the work that uh, James Harris does yes. with Kamala, like the facial expressions he makes, everything he communicates with this weird, like, character, you know, and you can think what you want about the character, but his performance, I think you cannot fault, because he does such a great job with it. The best thing about this match is his facial expressions. And it's just like with The Undertaker. Like, and that instinct, too, is that like instincts are not a science, and you don't even know what you're reading. So I think half of him is like, feared the present. And then half of him is like, he's offering me a present. You know, and he resists it one time, but he, he, he does not resist it twice. So... I love the whole thing with the present, and then there's this, the going under the ring stuff happens too, and Doink is like supposedly clobbering Kamala in the head while Kamala's under the ring, but Kamala's sneaking out the other side. But man, I just love the moment where Kamala opens the gift and all the excitement, and then there's nothing in it, and then the look on his face. <laughs> it's perfect, and Kamala, of course, you know, the character's a bit uh, simple, so you know, he's not watching Raw, he probably doesn't have a TV, he probably yeah. sees witchcraft or so, you know, whatever silly thing, so... <laughs> So he doesn't know, you know, he thinks there's, there's a real present, and then there's not, and he's very sad about it. Well, what's his name got the gift that he wanted? He got that pie, right? He got, yeah. <laughs> you know, he still liked it. He was licking it off his face at one yeah, point. Yeah, You know, so there, there's a possibility you're going to get something that you like, even if there's a trick in it. It's If you're Ron Bartlett, then you will certainly um, enjoy yourself, <laughs> just because no one else is going to do it for you, so. Right. The empty gift, is there anything, to me that's a hell of a statement on everything, like to give someone a wrapped present with nothing in it, that's just something, there's something harsh in that. Something very cruel, I think clowns are, are evil by nature, I think uh, they're very creepy, so I think that it's a very clown thing to do, um, either that or there would be like snakes in it or something, so yeah. Did you ever watch Modern Family? I have watched Modern Family, yeah. Uh, somebody would disagree with you on that one. <laughs> well, he's kind of creepy too. So uh. <laughs> clowns are interesting. They're like how you got clowns over it. I've never looked at the history of clowns, but you feel like before people really knew about clowns, and they're like, well, you need to get used to people walking around looking like this. <laughs>
can be an interesting thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I don't want to look at the history of clowns because I don't want to be cursed in my life. So uh, <laughs> someone else will have to do that for me. Man, I I didn't even watch the original It with uh, Tim Curry. I just saw like the box art and that alone enough for me as a kid was like, nope, clowns never. Like it's not going to happen. It's funny because now I love that movie, but um, still with clowns, I just can't. That's interesting. Okay. So Doink hits on a lot of things for people then. And he's a very cool clown. He gets to count out victory here, I do believe. He does, yes. He uses the present to uh, distract him. He gets that count out because Kamala doesn't know how count outs work, I guess. Um, you know, for not understanding anything about wrestling, Kamala did pretty well. I'll just say that. So. <laughs> yeah. And it had that long of a run, and you don't even know that you pin people when they're on their back. Like, yeah, yeah. Do they count for him either way as a baby face, or do, do they make him turn him <laughs> I assume he still has to turn him over, although I would not be shocked if there was an exception. Um, <laughs> after the match, as you said, uh, Doink will crawl under the ring. Kamal will try to go after him. Doink come out the other side and try to kind of bash his head with a chair. But Kamal will uh, outsmart him and uh, sneak around. He will ambush him. So so there's a little fun for you with these weird gimmicks. Yeah, like a true baby face. Like, he can now, you know, you got to get the last laugh, which we'll see again before the show's over. We will. We will indeed. Uh, we see Todd Pettingale advertising his show dressed like an uncle from uh, Full House. So He has a cool. very Full House vibe, doesn't he? He does. He could easily be. He could be Joey. Yeah. <laughs> Joey. He'll find Another Uncle Joey. Uncle or his, something. Yeah. his three jokes. <laughs> oh, God. What an error. I saw that stuff and thought nothing of it as a kid. Like everybody wore the big, uh, the, the kind of dress pants, but they're still halfway supposed to be casual at the same time. You know, <laughs> it's the style of the time. A lot of big <laughs> colors too. You know, and patterns yes. and you know, so. a lot of colors. <laughs> All right, so we're gonna move right into our next match here. But uh, just a heads up. Due to some uh, technical difficulties, we have split the recording of this episode into two pieces. So if now you notice that we suddenly know what happened at uh, at All Out, if we talk about it, if we happen to know that Daniel Bryan is uh, in AEW officially, along with some others, that is the reason we didn't suddenly uh, become psychic in the recording of this video. Nothing matters anyway, because it's going to come out in November, and all y'all will be struggling to even remember uh, these things we were talking about, because it's a fast-paced world with a lot of changes uh, to attention span. But we're going to get back on our road to WrestleMania 9. Nothing can stop us from experiencing that pain. It's be very exciting. And right now, I believe we're about to jump into a match with one Lex Luger, one Tito Santana, and neither of them necessarily being the star of this match. So Mystic, of course, let's get right into it. Man, that's an excellent segue. Um, I read recently that everything that we do might be pleasure or pain, and I think the Legacy series teaches us that weekly. And so maybe I sabotaged uh, the technology last week. Maybe the universe did. Who knows? Who knows? Um, I, I like to think we're about 99% uh, pleasure on the Legacy series, maybe 1% pain. It, it was worse uh, when Russo was rearing his head but i, I was I about to say we did it. the russo era of wcw <laughs> <laughs> which even uh, had some bright spots which you were correct about that so you know you can find good something good in any wrestling product i really believe that if there's one that's beyond redemption i don't think i've seen it yet 
I do want to talk AEW at the end of the show so folks can stay for that or leave whatever fits their fancy on that topic. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. But right now, I know we, we, we tried to talk about it like three times last week. Kept cutting out, so uh, I think once again we're being censored for talking about one of the greatest unsung commentators in uh, re- in uh, WWF history. Yeah, we're talking about an episode where I am excited because even though the narcissist Lex Luger is not my favorite version of Lex Luger, it's my favorite version of Lex Luger in the WWF, and it's his debut, really, and it's an opportunity to talk about how, for me, he stands out head and shoulders above some of the guys getting pushed in WWF in this era, but I wasn't talking about any of that. I was talking about the great Lord Alfred Hayes, who was with Gorilla Monsoon, and I never knew how much I needed Lord Alfred Hayes to call a narcissist Lex Luger match until he did it. <laughs> this is uh, March 20th, aired on WWF Mania, and if you watch any network uh, Raws from this era, you'll see it advertised ad nauseum, so at least for a while they were trying to make it a big deal, and what better way to make it a big deal than to have Monsoon and Alfred Hayes calling a match here between Tito and Lex Luger, and yes, my God, what a take Alfred Hayes has on Lex Luger, something that... uh reinforces my idea that he would just go out there and say whatever he, he felt and whatever he saw and uh, did not necessarily follow the narratives that he was given in the WWF. Absolutely. Gorilla Monsoon, in the words of the great Norm MacDonald, thinks that the narcissist is a real jerk and he's not afraid to say it. So Lord <laughs> Alfred Hayes, he actually pushes back here and he says that the narcissist is loved by his mother. He sends... <laughs> God, I love Alfred Hayes. Uh, he sends his mother $10 a week, Ms. Fan. He does. He, he sends $10 every week. That, you know, that's nice for a mother. You know, they can uh, they can do something with that money. It's thoughtful. When he's not looking in the mirror, you know, sending that 10 spot, you know, weekly out of his uh, WWF salary, I guess. <laughs> and uh, Monsoon is very offended that he would only send $10. I don't know what he knows that we don't if Luger's mom is like, destitute or something but uh i got news i don't send my mom ten dollars a week my mom has her own money so you know calm down gorilla absolutely you look in your own mirror before you judge this narcissist (laughs) (laughs) and he's way ahead of you and looking in the mirror so you got some ground to make up i wonder if luger was cheap because like usually when gorilla people in the 80s commentary that great era are are making comments they're also like playing on something so i don't know if that's a part of this or not, but Alfred Hayes continues to run circles around Gorilla Monsoon because Gorilla Monsoon pivots. I guess if he's nice to his mother, we got to go a different direction. And he's knocking everybody out, and that just seems like something that Hill should not be able to do in the great sport of the WWF. So there's something funny about it, and there might be something funny about his elbow. And Lord Alfred Hayes says, I've yet to see that. And Gorilla says, well, I've yet to see it either, but... You know, and then Lord Alfred Hayes follows up with, he does have huge arms. <laughs> yes, Alfred Hayes is perfectly willing to entertain the fact that uh, Lex Luger may just be knocking people out, which Gorilla Monsoon considers next to impossible. So he will suspect the elbow pad and he will suspect the wristband and he will suspect any kind of uh, shenanigans that he can think of. Yeah, and... They didn't even bring up the one thing that I would bring up as someone who prefers Lex Luger as a babyface, like the great Darby Allen in AEW that we will discuss later. This man is explosive. He has velocity when he runs. Mm. So that also contributes to the contact. 
of the forearm, which we will find out at the end of the show as well. Yeah, we talked about the Exploder uh, with the the Road Warriors. And, uh, you know, Lex Luger, the way he pops out with those moves is definitely one of his strongest suits. Yeah, he doesn't just walk up to you and, like, throw a forearm. He runs. He uses all those running clotheslines to perfect this forearm. Absolutely, yeah. A real real short burst of speed with Lex Luger, and that uh, that's cool. You don't see a lot of people do that exactly. Yeah, but he faces a guy who is also top-notch in our book, a uh, former tag team champion, a guy who should be pushed more than he is. We've said it many times. He is facing a WWF faithful in Tito Santana. Yeah, Grill Monsoon calls him Mr. WWF here. And I have no idea where that narrative was supposed to be going. Usually Monsoon is, like, on the narrative, but uh, I don't know. Like, Tito, I think, will be left off WrestleMania for the first time in WrestleMania history, and by next year, I'm sure he won't be here. So I don't know about Mr. WWF, but uh, he is still highly talented. Absolutely. I, maybe that was some of the stuff they were selling him backstage when he thought he was getting a world title push. <laughs> Or if he believes it in 93, though, like, I don't yeah. have to tell you, Tito, at some point it's on you. <laughs> right. A great point there. So this matchup, uh, it's, it's a fairly good match. It's, you know, kind of what you would expect. Tito is being Tito. Lex is being Lex. And it's, a, you know, at this point, it almost feels like WWF versus WCW as the narcissist is yet to fully integrate himself into the company. Yeah, I mean, uh, if this happened in, like, 89 or something... Woo, imagine, but uh, mm. still a very solid match for sure. Yeah, we get Hill Luger, so Hill Luger kicks you in the stomach while you're down on all fours a lot more than Babyface Luger. That's pretty much what you need to know about any slower. So those are the two differences. Man, I was really noticing in this match, and this is something you've pointed out many times that I agree with, but man, Hill Luger is just not as much fun as Face Luger. Yeah. He's just not, it's not the same, you know? So I'm all about the Babyface Luger. People don't get it and how good he is. I don't know where this is in my notes. Somebody plays to the crowd. Oh, Savage. We'll get to Savage and Yoko. And like Sid, like others, Savage, before he does even a move or thinks about a move, he plays to the live crowd. You know, Luger never plays to the live crowd. So, like, he's not getting As a babyface, he gets no benefit off of that. So it's all just in this almost closed-off energy that he brings that almost comes off of him despite himself. Mm. I'll tell you, he does one thing to play to the crowd. He he signals that torture rack when he's yes. a baby face. And, man, you see the whole crowd doing that in 97, a whole arena. 20,000 people will be making that torture rack motion. But that's actually an inferior thing that he does because WWF pushed him better than anyone, and they took that away from him. <laughs> of course. What was I thinking? <laughs> oh, my gosh. We will talk more at SummerSlam about the SummerSlam push versus the Rack Across America tour that was organic and natural, and sprung up in the summer of 97. And only marginally more successful in the end, sadly, in terms of mm. championships. But, uh, hey, at least he got there that time. Absolutely. I knew more about this match last week, folks, but you're just going to have to deal with the realities of uh, <laughs> how things go. Um, no I like it, though, because yeah. you know, Tito can explode, too, but you know he's got a bigger top target and a bigger body to move, I think, than he usually does. Yeah, very solid uh, guy to come up against here. Uh, he does get a nice run of offense towards the end. He even hits that flying forearm. Luger kicks out just barely at two, comes up, and uh, he flies in with the forearm of his own. And Tito is knocked out. Luger wins, and uh, Monsoon is as suspicious as ever. Yeah, and I do think even, like, I will praise, of course, 
the body slam on the Intrepid and the run up to SummerSlam. But putting that aside, the best thing that they did with him, I think, is kind of this mystery about the forearm. Because being a babyface company, to have a heel come in who looks in the mirror all the time, who's called the narcissist, and yet at any time he can knock out any babyface at will. Like that that would drive if he had the right announcers in the right time, that would drive them crazy. And if mm. they had built this longer and stayed with it, who knows what it might have evolved into. Yeah, I mean anytime you're building up a, a kill shot with a wrestler, something they do that can't be beat, that that creates a great dynamic that you can play off of. And yeah, I'm just thinking now, like this push will I think kinda just go nowhere. Like he'll be at WrestleMania, yada yada, but um yeah, like Against Bret Hart in this form could have been super interesting. I mean, you know Bret Hart could do a lot with that. Um, even against Hogan uh, and his bones, you know, in their little tour. God knows Hogan <laughs> always worked well with Luger. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Like, things could have happened. They, they could have had some title matches here that would have been great main events, I think. Yeah, Narcissus versus Hogan would be interesting in a different way, I think. Yeah. And then Bret Hart after what we'll talk about with the press conference, knows that that shot, that, that shot will knock him out as good as Mr. Perfect, as good as Tito Santana. So Bret Hart then, who is better to come up with 10 ways to never get hit by it than Bret Hart? Man, I'm so, we'll talk about that because I, I added that as the last clip because I know you mentioned it more than once. I would have sworn when you told me about it, I thought it would be in 94 or something. Like, why is it here in 93 that Luger will knock out Bret and nothing will ever come of it? It's so strange. Yeah, this is the weekend of WrestleMania 9. They talk about it at WrestleMania 9. And then mm. I'll go ahead and say, like, Bruce is like, uh, what the fuck? God, anyway. Bruce, <laughs> Bruce has a way of, like, coming up with a lie, that the, the least satisfying lie that they can come up with. <laughs> and whatever that lie is, just apply it to why they did it. <laughs> Maybe to make Brett vulnerable. Like, it had nothing to do with Lex Luger. It was just, you know, oh, here's the thing that, you know. That that may even be the truth, unless it's just poor planning, because otherwise I have no idea. It's just, uh, I don't have a clue. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. No. Because two in the WWF, you'll go ahead. I don't want to spoil everything for you, because you have a lot of interesting years coming. But Lex Luger has two pieces of kryptonite beyond not being able to be champion. One is Mr. Perfect, and one is Tatanka. So uh, Tatanka? He Oof. will be... I forgot because Luger will have like his biggest feud in '94 will be with Tatanka, and right before he turns babyface at King of the Ring, he's double eliminated in King of the Ring tournament with Tatanka. So, oh my God, yeah, I knew that was coming, but <laughs> yeah, Tatanka, Prep man, thyself. Tatanka should be feuding with like I don't know what the era equivalent is, but like Danny Davis or something. Like he should yeah. be up here <laughs> with the others. My God, that is well said, and he, that's what he needs because he, he seems like. You know, he's going to be mad all the time. And, you know, so like chasing around a Danny Davis, I think would be a good idea. Right. Like, I don't know. I don't know how he's going to get all these pushes. So we'll see. Maybe my opinion will turn on Tatanka, but I am not, not very impressed with Tatanka so far. Yeah. So we, we go from there to um, March 28th, 1993 is The Undertaker going one-on-one with Bam Bam Bigelow. I think somewhere in the mix here we lost uh, Mr. Perfect versus uh, the model okay. from Raw. So let's, uh, unless that messes up your notes, let's jump nah, there. So I don't have notes, but you talk about it, and then I'll just kind of jump in. Okay, all right. Well, we definitely want to mention this. March 8th, Monday Night Raw, Mr. Perfect versus Rick Martel. Uh, we got some interesting stuff here. We got Bartlett. Um, so just ignore him, push him to the side. He's still around for a little bit longer, but, um, 
Yeah, uh, two of who I think are the most talented uh, in-ring guys in the WWF, and Rick Martel. Man, one nice thing about this delayed schedule that we're doing, you know, we're recording and then kind of pushing it out for uh, publication so we can keep going, is that sometimes you get these great connections with the show we are recording and with the show that uh, our listeners are listening to. We just released SummerSlam 1992, and man, if you are in LOP forums, go read what our prof wrote about Martel versus Michaels with Sherry at ringside, because he set it up just as beautifully, if not more, than we did. Call it a comic opera, call it all sorts of spectacular things, and just just a reminder, you know, they ain't, they're not even really treating Rick Martel like anybody anymore. How damn good this guy is getting in there with Mr. Perfect on Raw. I'm always excited to talk about Rick Martel. Yeah, and for me, who I am, maybe a little more personality than matches. Mm. I enjoyed him before the match as much, if not more than the match, because here's Rick Martel again, just like SummerSlam. For whatever reason, he's coming out throughout the entirety of the night. Every time that there is a model in the ring holding up the raw sign, Rick Martel <laughs> will drive them out of the ring and then show them how to walk about the ring with a sign like a true model. That's and right. it's just, he's so good. I said this last week on this episode that will still be this episode, but if there was a TNA at this time and he was doing that on Raw and I was running the TNA, we would sign him and make him our world champion. Oh my God, yes! Like he, he could have been on top of just about anybody right now. May you know he won't go to the top at WWF and for one reason or another. But man. Ooh, he really is good. I forgot he did that thing with the models. And what a great touch. Like, what a what a thing. And, and he does it so well. And very few other people are doing things like this. So you really have to ask, are they giving this to him? Or is he coming up with these ideas? I don't know. But when you see in the same company, one person is being very creative and other people are not, often I really want to give credit to the wrestler because we know they have input in their own stuff. And, uh... I don't know. If it's not that way, he's definitely getting all the good uh, ideas coming out there. Yeah, one thing I love is they have him sometimes playing the silly heel, and you will hear the bells because on top of everything else, my laptop is now – I don't think I can do shows on my laptop, so I'm back in the office. But he plays the silly heel, but he's so serious about it. Like He is Mm. taking himself seriously. And there's nothing I love more than a heel that should be making fun of themselves because all the baby faces are making fun of them. But they are damn serious about what they're doing. And when he goes in that ring, he's not just looking at me. I'm obnoxious. Like He believes I am the model. I'm not a model Rick Martel. I'm the model Rick Martel. And I am showing you how to do my business. <laughs> uh, maybe that's the, uh, the, the key or one of the keys to these um, outlandish gimmicks and what makes them work and sometimes they don't. It's just the guy doing them has to take it seriously, has to, like, believe in it, invest in it, you know. If you're just some big guy with a weird voice and you come out in a prison outfit, but you're just, like, some weirdo, (laughs) then, like, that doesn't go anywhere. But if you're Rick Martel, you're one of the greatest performers in wrestling history, they give you a model gimmick, you go out there and you work, like, 200,000% to make it work, then, hey, guess what? Maybe you're a legend. Yes. And I will say one thing. He he did a promo, too, which I enjoyed, but... Mm. I don't have my match notes, so I'm going to listen to you after this, but my favorite thing is when he did the cartwheel, because <laughs> this guess. is how Mr. Perfect used to antagonize opponents when he was a heel, and like I've always thought babyface Mr. Perfect's not a long way from heel Mr. Perfect. 
Oh, very much not. And Martel is a great spot for him, like to come up against as a baby face, because Martel uh, is not that far from Mister Perfect either. So it's good stuff. Absolutely. Oh man, they could have been like they could have had a great alliance, I think, as heels. I just I don't know, Perfect Beauty or so. I don't know what they would be, but like something could have happened there. Yeah, in the two thousands, they would have been three time tag team champions on the side. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been one of the best things in the 2000s. So yeah. you know, let's let's think about that. Um, so we do get the match. Uh, Martel's also dressed up like a boat captain for whatever reason. I guess because models are rich and he has a yacht or something. Um, so take that for what it's worth. Uh, Randy Savage is on commentary praising Mr. Perfect as his tag partner. I think he's desperately trying to remind everybody that he's still a wrestler. Too bad, Randy Savage. We know that you're a thousand years old and you can never wrestle again. And you're a future WCW world champion. <laughs> uh, well, we threw the other guy out for being so old, the guy you're going to feud with. So, you know, don't go over there and, like, uh, reinvigorate house show business for WCW or anything. Surely that mm. won't happen. Oh, my God. God, it's hard to believe. Yeah, we'll get to that again, too, in Savage's matchup. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, so, yeah, you got Rick Martel. He's a great coward. He's a great uh, kind of obnoxious heel. He does the cartwheels. He does some very slick stuff. In that match, um, and then uh, we, we we find out that Mr. Perfect won, hitting the Perfect Flex, uh, but we find out that it happened during a commercial. That's not something I expected, so I guess uh, that's that's what it means to be uh, uncut and uncooked. But and um, yeah, a bit of an interesting ending there. Yeah, we finally found out what it means, which is you don't get the quality of the ending of your main event. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. Um, it's an enjoyable match. I honestly thought it'd be a little better between these two. I don't know if they're too similar or just, uh, you know, kind of the environment didn't help them, but there's some very fun stuff in here and I think it's still worthy of praise. Yeah, it's not a bad match, but it's about what you expect for a TV match in WWF in 1993. Yeah, that's fair. That's, that's, that's very fair. So good, good thing that perfect still on his push. I don't know what happens with putting Luger over him, not giving him the IC belt, but they really go from, like, hot on perfect to cold on perfect, it feels like. I really don't know, because he'll be, he'll be retired again before the end of this year, I think. He'll be a referee, I think, at the next WrestleMania, and just, uh, you know, then gone until WCW. That's 97, so I don't know if it was just uh, his injuries or something complicated, like, with his insurance, because I know, like, he wasn't supposed to be able to wrestle again. He got a big payout, and then he did come back. I have no idea, so someone who's more... Uh, knowledgeable or into the shoots, maybe you can tell me. But yeah, Mr. Perfect will just have a very weird stop-start career from this point forward. I can't remember where I heard it, but at least one time I heard that he is very upset about being passed over for the IC title. And who who gets it when he's mad about it? I don't. I think Sean's already got it and it just stays on him because don't they wrestle at SummerSlam or some event? Yeah, yeah, they do. A uh, famously. Um, you know, a match where they famously don't maybe live up to what you would expect yeah. between them. And that might be part of why they don't. <laughs> Damn, is Sean really, Yeah, is he an Arcadal champion, like, for all year or something? He might be. He he uh, trades it with Marty Jannetty at some point. I don't oh, know if that's this year yeah. or next year. Yeah, that's right. And then he'll get uh, suspended, and it'll be yeah. Razor and all that stuff. So, okay, that's interesting. We'll, we'll see how it all goes. Absolutely. Either way, he's about to hit a slump, but you can't tell it when he's the main eventing Raw. So, no way, and just yeah. he put Flair out recently. 
yeah, he took out Flair, and I'll tell you, he's about to wrestle Bret Hart at King of the Ring soon, and uh, that's going to be, I, I'm going to have so many good things to say about that. So you can't say it's for lack of ability, I don't think. Yeah, good point. All right, let's go back to March 28th, 1993. We got our babyface Undertaker facing Bam Bam Bigelow. We do. We're on the march to WrestleMania, which used to be a special of uh, primetime. Now it just sort of uh, exists by itself. So why'd you get rid of primetime, Vince? That's what I want to know. It was too expensive for them, and also it was too high quality. It was cooked, (laughs) and it was censored, and it was whatever the other one is. Oh, too too high quality, I can believe. Man, how expensive is it to, to put a camera on two brilliant people in a studio and just let them do their thing? So, uh, uh, all right, put that aside. Yeah, I don't believe anything I ever hear on uh, something to wrestle. Because also, like, oh, you got to take wrestlers off the road and fly them in. But, like, they had Savage and all of them just coming in on screen. So, like, do you really have to? Right, yes. Yeah, no, it makes no sense to me. But, um Anyway, before the match, we see uh, some clips of Giant Gonzalez, none other than, uh, well, I was going to call him the former El Gigante, but I think we're doubting, maybe, that they're the same uh, tall person. Um, We do see him next to Harvey Whippleman, and I'll be damned if he's not literally twice the height of this guy. Well, he started off at 8 feet. He was 7'7 in WCW. He started off at 8 feet in WWF, and now they are saying that he is 20 feet tall. So, and they still twice. haven't properly build him for how tall he really is. So yes, that would be nice. What? How do we know he's elegante? That might be my new stance. <laughs> with the, we can't see much of what we saw with El Gigante. You know, he's got all the hair on the face, and he's got the 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 bodysuit. So I don't know. Maybe maybe he is not. Elegante didn't have much body hair. Maybe he just changed his uh, grooming habits, buds. I have a lot of reasons now to believe this is not Eligante also looked like he was 17, and this man looks like he's 140. <laughs> so what's that about? At least unfrozen in a cave or something next to the <laughs> Yeti. So I got you. Yes. Uh, Bobby Heenan and Vincent Manor on the call. Bobby Heenan is not afraid of The Undertaker. He says, I am not superstitious. I never walk under a black cat. <laughs> uh, I love Heenan uh, getting flustered with his malapropisms. It's wonderful. Yes. He, he will be missed. There's not going to be another Bobby Heenan. He, it's not going to be like that. It never will be like that. And Mm-mm. every time that we hear him now, he is you know closer and closer to that door. I think December is his uh, ending with the WWF. Indeed. You better believe we'll be covering that when we get across yes. to it. So um, There's a couple of big, big boys here. So it should be a Vince McMahon special. You know, he loves his uh, big size, although maybe not enough muscles in this match. But, uh, you know, Um, there's some fun stuff. Like, a lot of people say Undertaker, oh, well, you know, he didn't really start actually wrestling until later. Like, he would just choke people or whatever. But, man, he he starts his match early with, like, a a really nice drop toe hole that I did not expect. He's hitting, like, the DDTs. He's doing this and that. So, you know, I, I get it. He will get better in time, but man, he could do a lot very early on. So I, I will praise the Undertaker here. Yeah, I like his DDT a lot. And we've already yeah. covered. He would not have stood out as much, even with the gimmick, if he couldn't wrestle like he did. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, Bobby Heenan tells us if Undertaker uh, tries to do his uh, old school spot, he tries to walk the ropes. While he's holding Giant Gonzalez's arm, he's going to have to be up in the balcony. And that that comment maybe makes you think it is El Gigante, so I don't know about that. I did not hear that, but yes, it's El Gigante. <laughs> it's 
That is factually correct. (laughs) That's such a dirty thing, too. And they always say WWF uses like talent better than WCW, but in Eligante was the was he's all that people talk about in like that five star cage match at Halloween Havoc ninety one, you know, for his great arm reach. And now they're gonna take that arm reach and use it against him like that. Vincent Man hates WCW talent. There you go. There you go. Also, you must be happy on some level to have lived long enough that these narratives are no longer nearly so overpowering as they used to be. I I feel very gratified when I see folks, um, they look at AEW, for example, and they say, oh, it's kind of like WCW, and they say it in a good way. And uh, it's just nice because there was definitely a time where you couldn't say anything like, oh, this is like WCW. That would be like the worst insult you could possibly give. And that's just not true anymore. Absolutely. There's some of those that I love seeing. I think those are the organic ones that seem to spring up mm-hmm. from the bottom. And then there are ones where it's now more favorable to at least be halfway nice to Lex Luger. And so <laughs> I'm hearing people who have hated him and despised him and buried him for 20 years still kind of burying him, but also being like, yeah, you know, X, Y, and Z, and then, then moving to the burying. <laughs> you know, so just just keep your truth at, at some point, too. If you're, if you're on the record for a couple of decades, either give us a real reason for why you changed your mind or just stick with your narrative. <laughs> that's uh, that's perfectly fair, I think. I was going to say any progress is good, but, you know, if you're just saying it to uh, – follow the flow, then uh, you're sort of invalidating all your comments, which were invalid anyway, because they were probably wrong if you were just bashing Lex Luger all over the place. <laughs> yeah, maybe you didn't hate him, you know, like, I, but how, how the hell can I know Jim Ross, I, uh, whoever you are out there, you know? Yeah, he still won't, like, well, well, he said some other thing about Lex Luger recently, didn't he? <laughs> I've got to watch all that crap. We're gonna, okay. we're probably going to take some time off after the road to SummerSlam so I can watch every single thing that I've ever avoided in my life. <laughs> Oh, I'm looking forward to it. Oh, my gosh. All right, uh, we go back to the match. Uh, They have a nice sequence that I liked. Um, This isn't an amazing match or anything. And once again, I think Bigelow is not the most impressive guy. But they did a very nice sequence here where Bigelow is just, like, hammering down The Undertaker again and again. And he keeps sitting up. And it's just a nice use of, like, the sit-up spot. It's, like, harder each time for Undertaker. And he's selling. And it's, like... I don't know. I feel like there's some glimpse into the mythos there. So I thought it was a very nice little sequence. It is. And I I love to sit up. But it's also, as someone who never liked the hulking up, it always amazed me that it was cheered for so many years. Yeah. And to some degree, I could say the same thing about this, because you would think at some point when he's done the laps around the country, everybody's seen him live, you know he sits up, that it would lose some of his prestige. But I remember for the most part, when I, anytime I watched him, that sit-up spot's always been good with the crowd. Oh, it's a pop, yeah. I mean, I think in wrestling, like, there's a reason, uh, you know, ooh, five moves of doom. But, like, people like to see the familiar things, the signature things. You know, it's exciting, especially when then you're, you're there live. And usually you see it on TV. It's different live. I think anyone who's been to a show knows that. So to see something like that... And there's just something about it. And I don't know. I would pop for the setup. I've probably seen it. I saw Undertaker wrestle uh, at least once. So I don't remember exactly. But if I saw it, I'd probably pop for it. Yeah. And I'm not always a defender of Flair, but that was my favorite response to Bret Hart is that Mm. when he goes to an arena, 
fans are paying money to see him do all these things that, that he supposedly does every time. And so uh, he's giving the fans what they want to see. Right, yeah, and I think that, again, is the difference between Flair and Brett. As great as they both are, Brett is thinking about his wrestling in a different way. Uh, Flair is just thinking about, like, what is this wrestling for the fans? He's not thinking about, like, oh, how can I use, like, the greatest psychology? How can I tell the greatest story? Like, those things will emerge through the course of the match because Flair is great. But he's thinking, first and foremost, of the fans. And I think, more often than not, that is what you will actually find in, like, a megastar wrestler. I love it, too, because... Not, not, nothing in the world is full stereotype, and if we if we had this conversation, it would sound like Flair is the WWF entertainment guy and Bret Hart is the non-WWF wrestler guy. <laughs> Maybe they should have been, you know? I don't know. Yeah. Like, there's something very NWA about Bret Hart, and uh, Ric Flair, I mean, he's an amazing wrestler, you know, with the capital W, but man, he's a sports entertainer as well, if I can yes. say so without it being a bad word. <laughs> Absolutely, and those are the lovely conversations. Like we've all had the Bret Hart versus Ric Flair under their, you know, under their uh, analysis. But it is funny. And would Bret have been better? Would he have been worse? Would he have had angles that did not include his family? Like who knows what would have happened? <laughs> I remember reading uh, recently something very interesting, and uh, I- I'm not sure if the timing is exactly right, but it was something like this. Like at the same time. Hogan was coming into WCW in 1994. He was wrestling Flair, and, like, the whole company was changing. Much more sports entertainment-y. Right around that same time, I think, it was Bret Hart and the 123 Kid on Raw. And somebody said, like, that's about the most NWA-ish match that maybe the WWF ever put on in a main event. And I don't know if that's true exactly, but, man, you can really see it. Like, these two are kind of, they're going to kind of trade places at times, in a weird way, and it won't last because we got 95 and Diesel and, like, a lot of goofy gimmicks. But, man, like, the identities of both companies are going to shift a lot in the next few years. Yeah, uh, I will definitely agree. And, again, though, you have to almost credit Bret Hart because yeah. like, I, I take that point, but I also know who um, who <laughs> WWF is going with at that time. And right. I don't know what you call Diesel, though. Diesel was not – at all a wrestler he is not at all nwa but is he a sports entertainment because he's not entertaining like i don't think he strives to be he has a black glove that he raises and like a a sound that is made when he walks out like i don't know what where, what what world what wrestling world do you put diesel in a world for tall people yeah <laughs> that's <fair>. about it <laughs> it is diesel and sid man when we get that feud that is oh, like peak sad. wwf in one way i mean i have to look very carefully at who is worse in that time period. Cause I know who I think is worse overall, but God, Kevin Nash, what does he have besides like his kind of like high school bully persona? Like yeah. if you take that away from him, he might be lower than Sid at that point. Cause at least Sid, you can never take away like his, his weird, like wacky intensity. Uh, Cause if you tried to take it, he wouldn't know how to stop. I don't think so. I don't know. I'm going to have to look very carefully at who is on the bottom in that era. Yeah, I don't know because I – in that era, I don't know because it, 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 everything reminds me of Diesel in that era. Teddy Biasi's group <laughs> reminds me of Diesel. Sid reminds me of Diesel. Um, so it would be fun to compare them in that year. And then I guess best Kevin Nash is WCW. Yeah. Yeah, and then 
best what is, that? is best Sid 96-97 or is it another time? I think most people would probably say so. Weirdly, I think I like him in like he got good at the worst time in like 99 or 2000. Mm. I honestly think that was his best run and it wasn't great, but like I don't know. It's all bad. So it none of it is as good as Nash in like 98 with the Wolfpack actually like incredibly over for like the yeah. first time and only time, you know. That's your peak Nash in terms of like character. Uh, to say nothing of like when he was wrestling Brett and he was actually having good matches, which was also rare. So I don't know. Like, <laughs> it's an interesting conversation. Unlike the super super intelligent Kevin Nash, yeah, you know, I'm just a regular person, but I'm I'm getting very confused because everything that we say, like Nash got the be- got the best WWF push you can have, and he was more over in WCW and had a better gimmick in WCW. Like, how many of these can happen before we can't before we have to change the all true narrative about WWF booking versus WCW. Uh, it's not changed by now. I don't know what we're going to do. But uh, it's funny because Luger, he will get a big push from WWF, but they will, like, bungle it totally. And honestly, you can kind of say the same for Nash, even though he's yes. champion for, like, a year. Because they put him, like, talk about not playing to your strengths. Like, Kevin Nash's biggest strength is his personality, and that is what will come out in 98 and even earlier with the outsiders. So take that away from him. And man, you've almost got nothing. Yeah. And the booking, uh, he said it, and this is the time I actually agree with him. You know, you're going to make him like a five-year champion. This is your Hulk Hogan, but he's, yeah. but he's new to the company and, you know, just over, just, a, just turned baby face. And your first program is with the top baby face in the company before him. And he doesn't <laughs> even go over against him. <laughs> So it's like, absurd, yeah, no doubt. Yeah. So sometimes getting pushed by WWF is not the thing that you want to happen. <laughs> it could be worse than not getting pushed. So, yeah. Yeah, oh my gosh. Especially in that era, too, because as you will see with Bret Hart, Lex Luger, you got to wear sweaters and like uh, dance with Santa Claus at Christmas and do all kind of stuff. <laughs> it's a rough era, and you can't just play the steroid trial, because I think that's over in, what do we say, 94, maybe? And... 95 is maybe the worst of them. So, yeah, I don't know what the hell is going to happen there. You want to talk legacy. You think about if it wasn't for ECW and if it wasn't for WCW with Nitro, this is what the the world that WWF was willfully creating and placing upon the wrestling world, which was that very stale, very – and it's not just a PG versus this and that, but it's a – none of these people are relatable. It's like bad fiction where it's like these characters are flat. You cannot – you cannot identify with them. You can't get mad at them. You can't like them. And that's all that we were going to have. And we were going to grin and bear it. <laughs> Very much so. Like sometimes I feel there are so many roads to wrestling, not even existing in 2021. Like mm-hmm. if, it, if the WWF goes down, you know, for whatever reason, I think WCW still goes down and maybe we just don't have wrestling now or it only exists in like small independent areas. So let's all just be grateful for a minute that things didn't go that way. Yeah, because fans don't fans continually forget that WWF did not beat WCW, WCW and Turner defeated WCW. Oh, yes. (laughs) We know where the blame lies and it ain't with the WWF. So. So this next one, if I'm not mistaken, is uh, has the beautiful title of Yokozuna Destroys Hacksaw Jim Duggan. <laughs> I'm sure that is what I call it in my notes. Uh, 
finishing the last match, Undertaker will choke slam Bam Bam Bigelow. Bigelow will roll out of the ring and uh, basically get counted out. And after the match, Giant Gonzalez will uh, make threatening motions from the entrance <laughs> at the Undertaker for whatever that's worth. <laughs> How did you translate that? It was threatening. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. If you really wanted to threat him, you would have stretched out all the way to the ring and, um, you know, poked him or something. So that's a good point. <laughs> okay, so um, Yokozuna destroys Hacksaw to me is a very good segment for a lot of reasons. Um, I do have to say, though, that fan, fans are always, like, super uh, – I'm, I'm knocking a lot of, like, straw men this week, and I apologize <laughs> for that. But it's all stuff that I, I, I hear quite often, and this is another one. Well, after – WWF buried Lex Luger for six months. Um, they knew that Bret Hart was the guy because the fans cheered Bret Hart at Royal Rumble much more than Lex Luger. Well, folks, fans are cheering Jim Duggan right now more than they're cheering the heavyweight champion Bret Hart. So <laughs> why is Hacksaw Jim Duggan not the, not the world champion? Oh, there was some term, and I don't remember what it was. It was a good term, but it was something about how Eric Bischoff viewed Jim Duggan. It was like, here's a guy who can pop the crowd and, like, never actually draw, and that's probably about right, I think, for Jim Duggan, you know, putting aside maybe what he did in some territories, but, yeah, like, from the time he came to the WWF, here's a guy, he has shtick that will engage the crowd, we know that will get the pop, no one ever came to see Jim Duggan, I don't think, but, yeah, he can get the cheers um, one way or the other, so uh, it's a good point, you can't just base it off of that, because otherwise... You know, we'd have Jim Duggan forever, and wrestling again would be shuttered because it never actually drew any money. <laughs> to me, this is a masterful segment, though, because you have Jim Duggan not only as a flag bearer of the United States, but a flag bearer of 1980s wrestling. And he's going to do something that has not been done, which is he's going to knock Yokozuna off his feet. And you might think, why have Yokozuna knocked off his feet by Hacksaw Jim Duggan? But to me, everything that comes after that negates... Yokozuna being knocked down because the one thing scarier than a Yokozuna who's never been knocked down is finding out what Yokozuna does to you if you knock him down. <laughs> that is a great point. Uh, I will say, usually I would not add Jim Duggan in the bonus footage, but to me, this is perhaps the greatest comeuppance in wrestling history because mm. Jim Duggan has done nothing since he showed up. How do you show up bullying Nikolai Volkov and the Iron Sheik saying they couldn't be from other countries. He has uh, always been so fiercely against anyone being foreign, being from another country. Well, guess what, Jim Duggan? Now you poked the wrong bear and you're getting sat on until you get stretchered out. So to me, this is the perfect, uh, it should be the ending of Jim Duggan's story. Unfortunately, we'll see him again. But uh, to me, this is a great comeuppance segment. That's how I view it. Yeah, he's doing his normal thing. He knocks Yoko down, and then he's gloating and showboating. He gets salt on in his eyes. Then he gets a belly-to-belly suplex. Then he gets a leg drop, and then we drag him to the corner. And this is up there with Undertaker, and I've been saying this since Yokozuna debuted. But number one, whoever came up with the bonsai drop and yelling bonsai, like this person is a genius, even if it's Bruce Pritchard, whoever it is. But, (laughs) you know, number one, already when you position someone in the corner – like, you're already getting heat on that move because everybody knows what's coming. Then that slow climb of the ropes, then that shout of Banzai, and then not only the move itself, but what it does. And partly what it comes to do is based on what it does to Hacksaw Jim Duggan in this time. Yeah, 
Absolutely. What a <laughs> compare and contrast to Earthquakes little sit on you Ugh. move. Like just how incredible this is by comparison. This this really would, I think, send uh, Hulk Hogan crying to the hospital. So I, I can believe this one a lot more. Yeah, he's not named Earthquake and then making an earthquake in the ring. You know, <laughs> it is serious God. business. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. Ooh, it's so good. I love Yokozuna. I love the bonsai drop. Um, and I, you know, I kind of, I, I crapped all over Jim Duggan as I tend to do because I don't really like, uh, his performances. You know, I don't like his shtick. Uh, I don't even like the fact that he gets cheered for it. And, you know, maybe that's a little, uh, bitterness on my side. But I will say for a guy who very rarely, uh, sold for other people who even when he wrestles Vader in WCW will basically no sell him, which I think is just complete crap. But here, like for the fact that he rarely does sell, the fact that he gets destroyed, that he gets stretched out, it makes it more meaningful. He puts him over really, really well here. So I got to give credit for that. That's part of what makes it so effective. That is well said and well deserved to be said. You don't get it. Yoko does a great performance, but is a very vulnerable, very defeated hacksaw who not only, you know, sells it, but then they, they drape the American flag over him, like, and just ship him off. Right, like, he's dead, basically, in this segment, you know, yeah. so, uh, it's, it's exceedingly well done in a company that maybe is not firing on all cylinders, this at least was very good, and more proof positive that they should have just run with Yokozuna, and, uh, man... Like, what is the narrative? Like, oh, we need Hulk Hogan. We have to do this, like, European tour, and it has to draw money with Hulk Hogan. Okay, make him the challenger. Do some countouts or something. Why the hell does he have to become champion? This stupid bag of bones is going to beat, like, one of the best things you have coming up in the WWF. So stupid. I've yet to see anything to make me think that that was ever, in any sense, the right decision. He likely would have drawn more money challenging for the belt, too, because he wanted to be there when he wins it. Right, exactly. Like, ugh, how, uh it's so frustrating. Yeah, that's the best point because I'm not as I'm not gonna be as hot because of other reasons, but I wait till WrestleMania nine. But that's the best argument that I've heard, just from a practical, even business standpoint. Is obviously you want him challenging for like who, you know, just watching him. I guess get a DQ as champion over Yoko or whatever they would do. But that's not nothing. But if he's challenging for the belt and he might be out of the company and this might be your last chance to see him and he might win the belt while you're while he's there, to me that's a lot more of a draw. I would think so, yeah. But we're not I guess we're not concerned about drawing now, we're just concerned about being stupid or something. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what I thought as a kid, but as I rewatched this stuff, it is clear to me that Bret Hart stands that doesn't stand a chance against this Joker Zuna fella. I, yeah, like, he is uh, behind, you know, he's running behind, and it's crazy for as good a year as he had, um, you know, in 92 and even 91, like, now, yeah, now he just seems behind, so it is what it is. Yeah, so we're going to see more of Yoko and more of Yoko on a roll. He is taking on the former two-time WWF champion Randy Savage. We're back on March 28th, 1993. Yes, once again, the march to WrestleMania, a place that Randy Savage will not march to except in a toga uh, at ringside, which is stupid, especially it's stupid again, because look at this match. Look at how hot this crowd is for Randy Savage. He might be the most over person on any of the stuff we watched. And yet, 
oh, you can't be a WrestleMania, you know, get in the booth, like, never, never move again, you ancient old man, and it's just, it's ridiculous. Yeah, um, it's just, it's just a declaration that they made, because mm. he'll be, he'll be well into the booth and still getting ovations like this, you yeah. know, before, until he retires. Absolutely, yeah, no, it, it makes no sense at all, it's nonsense. Um, this is also after, um... The press conference. So Yoko is going to get the best of Bret Hart physically. We will cover that in a minute. But what I never knew um, is that Bret Hart paid Randy Savage to have this matchup with Yokozuna because of what Yoko did to him at the press conference. Which to me, I'm not. I'm not going to judge a babyface, but that's not a babyface move. <laughs> is that part of like I missed that somehow? They said Bobby Heenan said so. Oh my gosh! Well, if he says so, it must be true. So, oh my gosh! Part of me wonders if he took eight and a half years to become world champion, and maybe it's not going so well. Maybe it's not working out for you, and you know, maybe it'll be another eight and a half years before he comes back for our, for his second run. <laughs> uh, fortunately, he will find better footing. But yes, now this first run, I don't know if it's eight and a half years well spent if you just go by this first run. But I mean. Do you have any qualms with him paying Randy Savage, or do you think maybe that's just like Savage was in the booth and like Brett needed somebody? Like, how do you view? That's how do you view that situation? Randy Savage would have done it for free, so why did you pay him off like the million dollar man? That's just a bizarre uh, thing to do. So, yeah, it definitely implies you don't have great uh, relationships with your fellow baby faces, which will also be proven when you turn the Rocket Owen Hart into the King of Hearts. So it's not a good look. Maybe Bobby Heenan shouldn't have said it. Maybe that was the irresponsible part. But I think it does shine a somewhat negative light, the fact that he paid Randy Savage to have this match. But you That know, is we'll not a up. top babyface thing to do, is to hire. <laughs> like, I can't believe they said he paid him, you know. I, I don't know if that's supposed to be a lie, because Bobby Heenan said it, but, you know, it's like... It's, oh, it's, a, it's absolutely a lie. Okay, serious. all right, all right. I was uh, I was struggling to remember it, and just trying to think of how serious it was. So, okay, so it's just a lie, but uh, at this point... Like, the fact that you had me halfway believing it speaks both to the fact that Bret Hart, like, his character is not really panning out at this time, and also just, like, how WWF is off the rails with its booking, because I was ready to believe that, like, that was really part of the narrative here. Yeah. Because, I mean, he doesn't hang out with anybody. He is getting... And Yoko, man, Yoko's doing it the right way, though. He's facing all challengers. So Bobby Heenan gets in line later, though, with a, you know, with the schedule that Bret Hart's kept the narrative. So he he gets in line eventually. (laughs) Uh, That's that's, that's the old standby. So good stuff. (laughs) Has anybody ever not like I I didn't realize that the world champions didn't wrestle up until 92. It's wild. (laughs) Oh, it's a strange time for sure. Um. This is a very fun match, I think. It's not the greatest match you'll ever see, but, like, the crowd is super hot for it. Uh, both guys are in there. They're doing really good stuff. They're, you know, they, they kind of work it around Savage. will almost knock down Yokozuna, and this knocking down Yokozuna thing is built up really well. So, like, there's there's a lot of fun stuff going on in here. Absolutely. You know, so I, I think, like I said, this is one Savage plays to the crowd. You know, it's hard to take him seriously, I, and I kind of, I kind of don't like what happens after the match because if he's just an old man who can't really wrestle, then you know, just put like, just completely put Yokozuna over. Yeah. If he's a contender, then you know, do something different, but make him one. You know, figure out what you want him to be. 
yeah, for the fact that uh, he will lose this match, a little help from Yokozuna will knock him off the top. Yokozuna will get that win. But after the match, yeah, I'll try to sit on him, and Savage will kind of get away, and he'll throw Yokozuna out of the ring. So you're right, like, you know, pick a lane. Either, uh, you know, either he's a match for Yokozuna and treat him like it, or he's not. And, yeah, just have him be sat on, you know, send him out as well. Probably commentary will be better for it. No offense, but. Uh. <laughs> yeah. You know, imagine if he had destroyed Savage, because uh, he's going to lose to Hogan, but he's also going to retire Hulk Hogan. Yeah. So he would have taken out Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Randy Savage, and Hulk Hogan. Clean it up the year 1987, you know, top to bottom there. So That's an amazing. I slept on that what he did. And yeah. It really makes me feel like, because Bret Hart, like, I'm making fun of Bret Hart a lot, but next time he's world champion, it's going to be, like, as the top baby face, and it's going to feel like a world champion. But... I'm really starting to feel like this is Yokozuna's time, which is an interesting uh, thing to come to. I, I mean, come King of the Ring, he's going to have a very long championship reign, and I think he deserves it. But, man, yeah, I think it should have been all year. And um, I don't know. I love Yokozuna, so I'm just looking forward to covering more of this guy. Yeah. The one other fun comment from the uh, matchup, Bobby, uh, there's some kind of choking or whatever Vincent Mann's upset about. And he's, Bobby Heenan says, he's got a four count to break it. And Vincent Man says, I don't care what he's got. <laughs> All right, Very good. baby face privilege. <laughs> I think he thinks you should break it negative one or be disqualified. Like, yes. don't even think about that it. That is the way. That's that fair, <laughs> that fair landscape that has been created for heels and baby faces. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, this is interesting. So we don't always do contract signings back in 1993, but we got one for... Bret Hart and Yokozuna, and it brings two just completely different personalities, completely different gimmicks, completely different styles into the ring together. And I don't know how much of a draw it is or isn't, but to me, it's a grand curiosity mm. to think about. I know what Yoko wants to do to Bret Hart. I have no idea what Bret Hart will do to counteract that with Yokozuna. You know, I was thinking when I first watched this that maybe this was the first uh, in-ring contract signing that we've seen and then i remembered we saw it once before hulk hogan and andre the giant they met in the ring as well for a contract signing and you've got to wonder like is this the new generation's version of that it's not gonna have the same impact we know but just like your 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 babyface champion trying to bravely defend against this monstrous force there's some similarities there, and yet Bret Hart will prove uh, to be not up to the challenge this year, so uh, clearly some differences as well. Yeah, it creates a question I've never asked out loud or to myself before, but like I just said, Yokozuna eliminated Randy Savage from the Royal Rumble. He defeated Randy Savage. He ended Hacksaw Jim Duggan. He ends Hulkamania, and I can't say these things. They don't feel like they have impact because historically they're never treated with impact, and then we're going to have this quick, rushed Lex Luger babyface turn just to say, well, if you're going to win it, you should win it at WrestleMania 10. If he's just spent half a year destroying everything that's ever been WWF, you wouldn't be taking the belt off of him in a month anyway. Mm. So why even do any of that yeah. right then? Why not wait till later? Or is it just like, oh, by God, it's July 4th. Let's do something on the Intrepid. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think we know that's what it was. Um, it doesn't feel like things are being very well thought out. Like, they're not thinking ahead in this time. That's definitely what it feels like. 
But they are giving Yokozuna and Andre the Giant like push, as you say. Yeah. And so like they they, they want to take the belt off of him in a month. It makes no sense whatsoever, and it's not going to it's not going to bear out. So I don't know why we don't just dig in, and just go with this thing. You know, they ain't they don't have the nerve to put the belt on Luger, but they don't have the nerve to have Yoko beat Luger. You know, Survivor Series is a tag match. Like, what are you doing? You spent he just eliminated everything that is WWF, and then like the next six months, he's just gonna kind of sit with the belt. Yeah, I mean, I hope we can find more, maybe with some bonus footage, but that's definitely how it feels. So it's unfortunate uh, that the only thing they will commit to through all of these years is bloody, lifeless Diesel. You know, once again, like he rears mm. his head. Like, they will not really commit to Yokozuna. They won't really commit to Bret Hart. Um, they'll commit to Diesel, though. So, I, you know, I don't even know what to think about that. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll get to that uh, when we get to it. He reminds me of Vince Russo too. Like Vince Russo is always Oof. wearing dark. Like I need I need some. And Vince, I don't know how Vince Russo would imagine himself, but I think about the stupid suits that he wore when he was on um, Live Wire. I don't know if you ever watched Live Wire, Miss Fan. I've seen a clip or two. Yeah, w, this was during the nervous breakdown of the WWF. <laughs> <laughs> well said. Oh my gosh. Okay, these fellows. What do you think of these two beside each other? It's an interesting pairing. Uh, Yokozuna and Brett. I think yeah. we talked about uh, earlier on this show that we, you know, in the previous recording, I, it doesn't feel like Brett could do anything to Yoko. Like, I, sure, he couldn't put on the sharpshooter. He couldn't do his um, uh, atomic drop. Like, I, he couldn't move him. He couldn't get his arms around him. Like, what chance does Bret Hart have here? Yeah. And I kind of like, I don't know. I don't know. All my, my my mind is being changed in real time, but now I just feel like this is all Yoko's time, and yeah. Brett will get his revenge. He'll get the best of Yoko at WrestleMania 10, but I just feel like at this time, the way they're booking and the way Bret Hart's coming over in the matches we're watching, that this should just be you know Yoko's emphatic victory. Mm. I I want to look closely at the booking of Yokozuna as well, because after WrestleMania 10, it will be like. Yokozuna who? Like, that's who it yeah. feels like, you know? Like, he'll be around, he'll be in the mid-card, I'm sure he'll do some fun things, but, like, they'll forget they ever pushed him, it feels like, and I don't know if it's because they just thought he wasn't working out, or because he gained the weight that they asked him to gain, and then they didn't like that, or what, but uh, I, I think it's very unfortunate. I will be watching closely to see what Yokozuna does after the company forgets about him. Yeah. I will look forward to that, too. I think there's at least two fair narratives. One is that eventually he will become a Yokozuna who can't be Yokozuna anymore. But also, WWF just likes to, like, we pushed you for a long time, so now we're going to completely treat you the opposite way and see how you behave that way. And if we ever feel like pushing you again, we will. But, you know, we had there has to be an equivalent, like, squash of you since, like, we pushed you for a while. Right, right, yeah. I, I hate that. That's the worst. Yeah, it's a bad WWEism for sure. So um, we have this contract signing of Yokozuna, and he's with Fuji. And something you said before really resonated me because Bret Hart is related to like twelve people in this company, and yet he never has anybody in his corner through this whole era, which is a stark contrast to later when he won't be able to stop his family from being involved all the time. But you know, there's no Owen because we know he doesn't want Owen to be on screen. 
there's no uh, anvil. There's nobody just like around to back him up ever. So he is very much alone out here. It's a, it's a tough time. He'll start getting the breaks when Lex Luger gets Mr. Perfect as a referee and he gets Roddy Piper. But <laughs> for right now, you are absolutely correct. Yeah. Yeah. So he will definitely turn that around in time. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, this, this is a good segment. I think it ends uh, the way that you might expect it because it pushes that table into Bret Hart's gut. Um, he sits on Bret Hart. He does it very convincingly. Love the bonsai drop. Sergeant Slaughter and other officials have to come out and sort of save Bret Hart, which is also maybe uh, not the best look for your champion. Yeah, they try to play it middle of the road because nobody's gotten up from the bonsai. So Bret Hart stands up from it, but then he falls back down. <laughs> I Yeah, I mean, watching this, like through the logic of booking, maybe you think, oh, they're booking him like weak, so he'll be like, so he'll win, you know, which is what they do sometimes. But man, just looking at it plainly, I'll say again, like, what chances does Bret Hart have here? Like, he doesn't seem to have any. He really doesn't. But he also doesn't, so, yeah. you know. I barely believed him getting past the head shrinkers until he brings some better energy than he's bringing right now. <laughs> I'll say again, it's wild. Like, the guy who beat Perfect, Piper, Bulldog, like, I don't know where that guy went. I don't know if it's just the booking or what, but, like, it ain't the same. Maybe you got to adjust to, like, being world champion is not an easy task, you know, because people will say some of his best work ever is coming, like, in a couple of months, and I think it is, so, like, as soon as they take the belt from him, and I'm sure he's pissed off the minute it happens, but, you know, then he starts <laughs> turning in these, like, 91, 92 uh, performances again, and by 94, he's the top star, so, you know, it's an, it's just a weird, like, this title reign is just ain't it, and I don't know who's to blame or what's to blame, but this is not it. I, I think... I put a lot of blame on the WWF here because they seem very insincere about this entire push. Like he won it in a way that nobody saw. He just showed up and was champion. Basically he, uh, you know, his whole narrative is, Oh, you, you worked here a really long time. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's not very complimentary. It's not very flattering. Um, he's out here defending against like Virgil half the time. And just like, you know, it's just not, presented well it's just not presented well it's just not yeah brett the hitman heart we owe him one <laughs> <laughs> brett the hitman heart attendance award you know yes like, it ain't but it, you know so. at least he got the belt and so he, <laughs> he's getting a world title under his uh hat unlike uh the man who we're gonna see next this is a wrestlemania 9 press conference Shawn michaels tatanka all these things going down tatanka sits down Gene Oakland is our host. Lex Luger interrupts. Gene Oakland is so good. He's got, he says, I've got a big treat for you, ladies and gentlemen. Unfortunately, Mr. Luger, you are not it. <laughs> yes, Lex Luger thinks that maybe he is the big treat. He comes to the podium, but it's not him, um, unfortunately, for us all. Yeah, the narcissist says you're not willing to alter your schedule for Lex Luger. And so he's moved aside, and he has moved aside because – as special a thing as you can do probably at WrestleMania 9, they're surprising us with the WWF champion. So Bret Hart will stand in the place that Lex Luger salt, which will not be the last time, folks. And then <laughs> Bret Hart will say he's 100% from that bonsai drop, and he's never felt better. And, man, then he is going to get wiped off that podium by a sprinting Lex Luger who's going to hit him with a forearm from the side uh, stage. Man... How did you see this? Like, you've mentioned this many times. I know it's like a touchstone, maybe a little bit before, yes. So 
how did you even see that? It's just like a weird breakfast VIP fan event. So where did this come to you? I don't know. I wonder if they show it at WrestleMania because Hogan shows up with the black guy. <laughs> Bray Hart's been knocked out by Lex Luger. So there's a lot of WrestleMania 9 is a weird season. So I don't know if it's when we finally got our Coliseum home video and they show it at WrestleMania 9 or if we saw it somewhere else. Yeah, that's a good question because it's very strange, but I love – I. You know, the fact that they don't do anything with this is kind of a crime because I love the fact that it happens in this weird place where things are not supposed to happen. Like, it's very, um, it's like breaking the form, you know. It's like you can't have a, a, an event like this at some weird VIP breakfast that, like, barely even got taped. So, I don't know. It feels like it ought to have led to something, and the fact that it really doesn't is a shame. Yeah, I think it is for several reasons, too, because you will notice, and this again will go against the narrative, damn it, we must be out of our minds, but <laughs> Lex, Luger, Lex Luger does his best work in the WWF when he's not dressed in any of their costumes. Yeah. So we got that, we got just a normal human being out there, and then we got the, um, what is it? I think Luger and Bret Hart are friends, so we also got that um, idea there. Mm, yeah. Are they... Yeah, they they were coffee buddies, so that was always, um, I think, uh, Bret Hart introduced him to a thing called Starbucks coffee (laughs) in in the early 1990s. Okay, sure, why not? Man, I was a guest, though. Okay. I think in his book, Bret Hart gives Lex Luger credit for um, part of that Royal Rumble spot when they go over together, and Bret Hart has to like you to give you any kind of praise, so. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. That's funny. Two people who definitely don't always uh, get along with others um, manage to make a friendship. Good for them. That's nice. I didn't know that. Yeah. I will also bring up conspiracy theories that Bret Hart might have um, been one of the people who threatened uh, if Lex Luger won the title. You know, that you know things would go bad in the company. So, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll leave that off the table for this happy uh, narrative. All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. But, yeah, this is a nice little uh, curiosity spot here. So... Watch it if you like, uh, and just imagine what maybe could have come of it in a better world. It's almost like something happened that wasn't a stupid, uh, easy, too easily seen gimmick, and they just like, we can't have that in this era. Man, I, what I don't understand is, you know, Luger and Perfect would kind of finish each other up at uh, WrestleMania, and I guess, is it Luger that gets into a fight backstage, or is it somebody else? Like, somebody after that match, like, is in a fight, aren't they? At WrestleMania 9? Yeah. It is, uh, Luger is hanging out with Shawn Michaels after his match. Perfect comes back towards Luger and Michaels, wait, it attacks Luger, but Michaels and Perfect end up fighting off and starting their program. Okay, so they split off. Why, then, are we not going to get, like, a Luger-Brett program coming out of this, you know? Like, what is Brett going to do? Like, he's not challenging Yokozuna anymore. That's Hogan's, like, area. I don't know. It, it seems like obvious that these two could have a really great feud, but instead, like you said, Luger will have to fight like Tatanka at the at the King of the Ring or whatever nonsense that is. So I don't know. It seems like just a missed opportunity here. Yeah, it feels like they're low key burying Luger right before they decide to push him because <laughs> King King of the Ring is the is the next big thing, and Bret Hart's in it, and Bret Hart's going to win it. Lex Luger is the other half of this scenario that you ask about. He's undefeated going into King of the Ring, and they don't take his undefeated streak, but he can't get past the first round with Tatanka. So, you know, that's that's not a great push. So I don't know why they, like you said, why did they have this? He even could have been someone that 
if you don't want to do a long program, you know, he, he could advance in the tournament and, and Brett could beat him somewhere in the tournament, but they don't even do that. So I have no idea why they started this. Uh, it's very strange. Yeah. Why even start it? Like, I, I guess I assume in some way they're trying to like protect his push. Like they don't want to give him a loss or anything, but man, you can work around that. Like that's been done many times. So I don't know. Yeah. It just seems like a waste. Like, I don't know what Luger's going to do between, WrestleMania and King of the Ring, like nothing, I think. So yeah. why? What's the point? Uh, it's just it's strange. And isn't it funny? Like people always talk about how different. Like oh, he went from the narcissist to the all American, but the, the the same the similarity of King of the Ring and SummerSlam is you don't you don't discredit him enough to beat him, but you don't like him enough to have him win. <laughs> so he's in the same spot in both pay per views, despite all that change in between. Yeah, he was in the same spot in the NWA, unfortunately, in yeah. WCW before this. So Lex Luger with the bad luck or just the bad, uh, the wrong enemies backstage or what have you. But man, just uh, he got stuck in this position all too often. He can't get out of it. So Bret Hart, Oops. Bret Hart's got great opponents. He beats Bam Bam. He beats Perfect. And who else? Razor? Yep, yep. And Razor. You could have put him in the Bam Bam slot at least. Sure, yeah. I mean, uh, I don't know. I, it, it sure could have happened. It really feels like it could have. Maybe they were going to go for SummerSlam, but I think Brett was supposed to be beating the Ultimate Warrior and Hulk Hogan in a cage match at that match or something like that. So it <laughs> can't be that. <sighs> All right. Let's move that aside. All right. I think that concludes our uh, our road to WrestleMania 9 at last. A tumultuous recording experience, but uh, we will finally get to Caesars Palace under that uh, bright, sunny sky. So... It'll be very interesting as we move forward to that. Absolutely. Uh, WrestleMania 9 is one that I will have to watch and just talk about how I experience it in real time because I, it was always, I always liked the arena. It was my, it's not my first Wrestle, my first WrestleMania is 1992. Must have been. So that is uh, WrestleMania 8. And, but that was almost not knowing what WWF was and seeing pictures in the magazine after it came out. This is, kind of the first real time like i know these things happen every year i know it's supposed to be a big deal mm. so it was in some ways my introduction but i also know how bad the card is so i have no idea exactly what i will what i will feel about next week's show i think there will be some things to speak well about that are often not spoken well about that's my vague memory is that it was not as bad as i expected or as the reputation and yet there will be some tremendously bad, bad things on that card. So I think uh, it's not exactly undeserving of the uh, criticism it gets. Yeah, I think that's fair. Plus, you got Jim Ross, who really is just uh, – his first card is WrestleMania, which is difficult, and <laughs> he doesn't adjust that well for a while in WWF. You know, So, again, we're, we're turning everything over in his company at this time, so you got to expect some – some adaptation and some time with with these things. Absolutely. Strange booth, Jim Ross, Randy Savage, Bobby Keenan, three folks who seem like they ought not to be sitting in the booth together uh, on paper. Plus, it's a uh, squeaky voice Jim Ross who can't succeed yes. in WWF. He's got to put some husk in that voice if he's <laughs> ever going to get over here. Yeah, he'll never go back to that voice even. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he really changes with his gimmick, I think. Or either he, would that, he was never that the first Jim Ross. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, the change in his voice is so marked. Um, I, I don't know how to explain it exactly, but it's like a different voice practically. 
I had a thought the other day that remember, as, as I have brought out uh, on the show, uh, WWF did not quit Rob Bartlett. Rob Bartlett quit the WWF. Yeah. And I have always felt like, oh, my God, that whole like bringing an animal and Bobby Heenan on the backside of the animal falling off. Do you think that was the Rob Bartlett spot if he had stayed? Oh, Jesus. Maybe, but, like, instead of falling off, he would have been doing, like, an impression of somebody. And, like, <laughs> I don't know. I think we can all be grateful that we don't have to uh, know what that reality would have looked like. Yeah, man. As bad as WWF commentary is, I don't know if WWF lives past a WrestleMania that is Jim Ross on day one, Randy Savage, and Rob Bartlett. Yikes. Yeah, that... Whoo, man, my ears want to bleed just thinking about that. No, please give me Bobby Heenan riding backwards on the camel uh, in place of that. That'll be just fine. I don't know about Randy Savage, like, lifting up his toga, though. That's that's something different. Okay, so rapid-fire question. Yes. Counting all out till today, which is another um, dynamite and a rampage, Top three moments in AEW in the last week. How can I rapidly answer such a question? All right, let me think. Um, for me, just personally, top three moments yeah, uh, in no specific order. CM Punk getting back in the ring, actually wrestling, having a great match with Darby Allen. Uh, Brian Danielson showing up in the company as we all hoped he would, as we kind of knew he would, but it's not, it's not for sure till it's for sure. So seeing him come out, that touched my heart. And just as a very strongly personal connection, uh, Ruby Soho showing up, a tremendous wrestler. I saw her first time at a small indie show in 2014 in Chicago. She was great then. She's great now coming in. Just one of my personal favorites. Man, I can name probably seven, 17 more, but uh, those three, I think, stand out to me the most. Just good people going to the place where I think they're really going to be able to show all that they can do and just make wrestling better and just be in a place where I can enjoy them and where they can hopefully be happy. Like, if you watch that pay-per-view when Ruby Soho comes out, look at her face when she comes out, look at her face after the match when she's hugging Bryce Remsburg. This is one of my favorite wrestlers of the past 10 years. And she spent five years or more sitting in a place where nobody knew her, nobody respected her, nobody liked her, nobody gave her a chance. And now she's here and man, just like that touches my heart in a very big way. So I would set those three out for you there. All right. Two more. So if you, if you want to, it's up to you. Run off some more of those that come to mind that you didn't get the name into three. Sure. And then personal favorite three matches from All Out. Ooh, this one I think I can do. Let me think. Just I know what my number one is, and it's probably one that most people don't share. But for me, favorite all-out match, Eddie Kingston versus Miro. If you want to see flashy matches, like definitely you will find those on this card. But, man, if you want to match with grit and guts and smarts and just like a rough match in the best possible way, I love Eddie Kingston versus Miro. It was hard-hitting, and all the psychology of Eddie targeting the head and the neck, and Miro trying to overcome that, like, with pure rage, and just, man, everything about that really spoke to me. That's my number one match for All Out. Okay, and second and third, I, I got to feel like one that might be the, the Battle Royal. 
uh, well, no, no, I can't, I can't quite put it that high, although I did really enjoy that match, but no, second would be Darby Allen versus CM Punk, to be honest, I thought this would be number one, I don't think it quite got that high, I want to be fair, but I really enjoyed it, I got such a great vibe off it, I thought they did a great job in that match, and number three, another one that people might not expect from me, MJF versus Chris Jericho, I think what it maybe lacked in uh, flashy athletics, which is not necessarily such a draw to me, it made up for in phenomenal character work and great, great, great story. Like, that's a match that I felt fully invested in, and they did a wonderful job of actually making me not know which way it was going to go. I honestly had no clue who was coming out in that match, so they did a wonderful job. I think uh, they deserve all praise for that. Very nice choices. Um, this is one more. I don't know if this will be too difficult or not, but one of two things that they could have done better in the last week. Oh, man. Uh, hmm. I think two things they could have done better. I understand the reason for it, but I think cutting Paul White versus QT Marshall uh, just to mm-hmm. make the show a little shorter. I didn't mind the match. I understand it. Like I kind of like Paul White. I always have. Give him a little moment, sure, but it was a long show. You didn't really need it. It doesn't really matter because everybody's like, this is the greatest pay-per-view I've ever seen, which is maybe a little much, but it's a great show. So it's not a must-do. It's something they could have done. The other thing they could have changed, man, I don't know. Like, I'm not a fan of Adam Cole. I don't really like him, but I can't criticize them for bringing him in, so I won't say that. Um, I think... Putting Christian and Omega on last, I know they did it so they could bring out Daniel Bryan, they could bring out the guys. It makes sense to me. What a cold match. What a match that maybe didn't really belong at the top of the pay-per-view. It wasn't a bad match either, but it's just, I don't know. I'm not that into Kenny Omega. I like Christian, but he's kind of past his prime a little bit, as we expect. Like, I don't know. I would have maybe looked for something different there. Again, it really didn't even matter, but... uh, I don't know. It just, it was a great show. I can't really criticize it. Uh, maybe a couple tweaks. So uh, just cause you asked, I'll throw those out there. Yeah. I think uh, Christian was uh, in the main event to signal that the main event was after the main event. <laughs> <laughs> well, they got that message across, I think, cause I really felt like that crowd at times was just sort of waiting for it to end so they could see what happened next. Not like they were mad or bored or anything, but just like you knew it wasn't really the reason that we were there at the end. Did you catch the dynamite after? I did, yes, I did. So how are you feeling about what's coming up next? Oh, I gotta wrap my mind around everything, to be honest. Just, I feel like there's a lot of great things coming. Uh, some people are like, oh, you're bringing all these guys and you can't push your, your, your other guys. And like, ah, maybe, I don't really think so. We spent 20 years being told that nobody knows how to run a wrestling company, basically, including, like, WWE. So I understand why people have doubts about this thing. But I think AEW, not perfectly, but overall, have done a great job of balancing everything so far. So I don't see any reason they can't have Daniel Bryan, uh, Bryan Danielson, I got used to saying that again, uh, CM Punk, you know, these other big names they bring in, and also balance that with the guys that they built up uh, from relative obscurity. So... I'm feeling very good about everything. Nothing really stood out to me as being like something I'm concerned about or anything. So I think they're on a very hot streak right now. And uh, I got to praise them for all the things that they've done right. Yeah, I I don't think that they're at the threshold to worry about too much talent. I think there's a possibility that that day could come because 
you know, not everybody's going to be a Sean Spears where you bring him in and it's a big deal because at the time, you know, bringing anybody in, you know, Daniel Bryan can't eventually be a Sean Spears if you bring in four more guys. Right. So I think it could come, but I don't think we're there yet. Um, have you seen Rampage? That I have not seen yet, but I've heard a thing or two about it. What are you thinking of in particular? Well, my favorite, Daniel Bryan, they just have these little video packages. Mm-hmm. And Daniel Bryan just has a line where he talks about the way that the elite act, the way they dress. He's like, you just seem like you're insecure to me. And <laughs> that is the best line I've heard in the last week. And I hope they keep this kind of wild man from the forest who, you know, is not <laughs> impressed with all these toys and games and things. And if, if Daniel Bryan just embraces his wildness, that might be the thing that keeps me watching. I think if anybody, I said from the start, CM Punk's a greater short-term pickup, but I really think Bryan is the greatest long-term pickup that they could make because this is a man who not only is one of the best wrestlers of his or maybe any generation, but this is a guy who it's hilarious to me that at one point he had a reputation of like, oh, he doesn't have enough personality because like he's got personality for days. Like he can say the right thing. He can get in the right feud. He can convey so many things. He can be funny. He can be serious. He can be, uh, you know, disrespectful. He can do all sorts of great things in that ring. So, yeah, I could not be happier that he came on board. One of the smartest things that they have done, too, is the booking of CM Punk versus a Daniel or Brian Danielson, which is hard to get used to saying. But <laughs> I love the slow rollout of CM Punk. There's no reason to rush anything, any matches, any opponents. I like uh, where they're going with the tag, Team Taz feud. Yes. I think that's a very smart next move. Um I I think that's perfect. I think the Brian Danielson thing, like this is a wise CM Punk who is so like now appreciative of life. Yeah. This is a this is not Brian. That's not Brian Danielson. He's not here to be like the old man fathering the. He also said in his uh media thing at the end, he called out like the CM Punk behavior and like you know <laughs> he, he's not he's not there for that. So I like that distinction between them. I like that too. You know. I Look at how differently they've come out. And, yes, CM Punk interacting with Taz alone was just lovely to me. Look, I love watching CM Punk interact with all these people that he probably would have been, like, walled off from, you know, in the WWE. Like, he's in there with Sting, and clearly he loves it. He's in there with Taz. Like, all these people from different places. I think he said on some podcast, like, give me a a trios match of Sting, me, and Darby Allin. It's just, Mm. like, three guys from couldn't be farther different places and we're just all working together and i love that attitude but yeah look at the great difference because i love that too you got punk coming in and you know he's got to say i wasn't happy at wwe i came here to be happy i'm going to work with the young guys you know i'm going to teach them something i'm going to test myself against them i think that's cool i don't mind that but then you got brian who's the opposite he's like i actually was happy at wwe but i came here because i want to like fight people and mess people up and like you know get those yeah. wins and he's very aggressive like he's completely the opposite and i think it works it's very great yeah so i, I i'm a big fan of all of that big fan of mjf like i felt like jericho would win just because they did all those trials and stuff but there were moments where it was like i think almost I can't say MJF should have won because, like, I don't know what Jericho's contract is. I don't know how they're going to use him. But Um, it would not have upset me if MJF had won at the pay-per-view. I was really – like, Jericho, he's what? He's 50 or something? He's got a music career. He's got all these other things. Like, no one could blame him if he hung it up now. And it would be just like him to go over putting someone out uh, or to to go out putting someone over. But, yeah, it's not going to happen yet. 
I feel like he can't be too much longer. You know, he's very good on commentary. I think he could easily move to that position. So it's a real possibility. I even now find myself wondering if maybe we're going to see Sammy Guevara break away and maybe he'll be the one to put Jericho down. So I don't know. It could happen. I'd be interested. Yeah, they move in and out of things as well. You know, we had just the the, uh, MJF Pillman thing just for Ohio, but that's how quickly MJF can just move on to another feud. (laughs) It doesn't take much. Uh, for someone to come at MJF. <laughs> that was so nice, too. Like, what a no-brainer, it seems like, to have a guy, a big heel, just took a loss, you know, he's going to need, uh, you know, a different program, or maybe something short, match him up with a hometown guy, get the hometown guy over on a national level more than he has been. Like, it's just the little things, but it just seems smart to me. Like, uh, AEW has made their share of mistakes, but they always seem to correct, and they always seem to be hot on to the next thing, as you said. So I got a lot of respect for the way they've done their stuff. It's going to be very interesting because I'm very happy that everybody's on that um, wave, and I can see uh, why, especially like knowing your taste, like why you enjoyed All Out so much. Yeah. For me, I found it kind of boring. Really? Interesting. Because I don't like my pay-per-view just to be match after match after match after match after match after match mm-hmm. after match. Like, I want storyline running through it. So I've watched AEW for two weeks now, and let me see. I've enjoyed some of the television more than some of the pay-per-view, so I would like more. I would like a little more of the TV in the pay-per-view. Um, <laughs> ah, let me see. So we started off with Miro versus um, Kingston, correct? Yep, correct. I think I would have liked one of those matches better if they didn't have the Moxley match after. I think they were back to back, so yeah. I would have taken the Kingston match and maybe not, you know. And you know, four strikers uh, like running into each other. I'll take two over four. Um, <laughs> sure. I I don't know what I would do if I was running the company because the fans obviously are there for the elite more than anything. Like they they couldn't even pretend to boo at times. So yeah. the Young Bucks is the biggest wild card because. If we took my wrestling fandom away, like my particulars, whatever the Young Bucks and the Lucha Brothers did in that cage, there was something historically great about that. I'm not sure it was a historically great wrestling match for my taste, but they did something. Like they did, they did the top level of the thing that they do. Yes. But this is not even my mental brain. Like I felt like CM Punk and, um, Darby Allen and Jericho and MJF was hurt in a way from the fact that, like, not only do they all move so slow comparatively, but, like, these guys are getting hurt after two moves, whereas I watch, like, people jumping off the top of the cage, landing on their head and jumping back up, and maybe you're not supposed to watch it that smart, but, like, I wasn't, this wasn't happening with my brain, it was just, like, in my body, I was like, why is everybody so slow and so hurt easily now, you know, because it's different, it's like two different worlds, you know, back-to-back, but all called wrestling. Yeah, there's an element of that. I think uh, I think most people will not be affected by that because they're kind of used to the change in styles. But uh, I can see the argument. Uh, most people, I think, would say that that was their favorite match on the card. That's certainly what I've been hearing. And I can understand why. Like you said, I feel like it was very top level for the thing they were doing. For me, I thought it was very good, but I did have qualms with it. Um but they're almost not worth mentioning because if everyone uh, really loves this match, then why do I want to come out and nitpick it uh, to everybody? So, yeah, I don't know. I can definitely see where you're coming from, though. It's the most I've ever enjoyed 
the Young Bucks versus the Lucha Brothers. Like, I, <laughs> I, I love Pentagon again for a few minutes because I like the thing with his family. I like his older brother, like getting in front of uh, Ray Phoenix. I even like the thing with the shoe. I thought that was very nice, you know. Yeah. But I just don't like how they just get up all the time from everything because then I don't know. Like, you know, at one moment, like, I'm holding myself, like, oh, my God, he's going to do this thing to him, and I feel bad for him, and I'm like, oh, never mind. It doesn't hurt him, so, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I mean, but certainly. That wasn't in my critique. Go ahead. I was going to say, like, there's a lot to that. I don't know. I talked it over with somebody who was Sir Sam, I think it was, uh, who's a great person on LOP and on Twitter that you can talk to. And, um, you know, he loved the match, I think. But we talked about uh, you're doing these things and, like, every moment is kind of like a standalone moment. And the moment is good, but then do the moments all go together? I don't know. Because you've got stuff like Pentagon is going to slide in front of Phoenix. And, like, obviously you can see, like, the good visual of that. But then again, like, two minutes later, uh, he's just letting Phoenix get like pile driven just so he can also do like a pile driver at the same time and they can do a mirror spot. So like, how do all these things go together? You know, I don't know if they really do in my opinion, but most people, I think it's not a barrier for them. Yeah. Maybe they don't have to, but like, you know, <laughs> for me they do. And, it, but right. I'll bring this up because to me, it might have been in some ways my favorite match on the card, and that is not usual for me. Like instead of liking the Young Bucks, I've learned to hate Pentagon through his time in AEW. <laughs> but something was special about it, it you know, yeah. in some way. And then I love. I thought CM Punk and Darby Allen was perfect. You know, yeah. I thought it was CM Punk was the kind of wrestler he should be. He's older. Yeah. You got the feeling that whether it was shoot or work, that like he's like, oh, this is what it feels like to take a bump again, which was fun. And Darby Allen's the opposite, like. Okay, here's my favorite thing. And again, because I'm not as big of a fan of matches as you are, my favorite my favorite match was not a match. My favorite match was Darby Allen sitting in the corner doing that weird, vulnerable, scary, scared, not scared eye thing with CM Punk and then CM Punk sitting down with him. Yes. Oh, man. Favorite thing on the show. Amazing moment. So good. Like, this is what this is what puts CM Punk above, or it's one of the things. The way he understands how to make a moment, how to make a visual, how to tie it into like everything. <sighs> that was just perfect. It was so good. Yeah, and then um, let's see what we got to that. MJF and, and Jericho. You know, we've already talked about that. I think Jericho. If if MJ if Jim, if MJF had won, I would hold that match a little higher. Um, <laughs> Don't care about the match after. I agree with you on that, which is the Big Show match. And then the World Title match, Kenny Omega, no, neither the Young Bucks nor Kenny Omega were as offensive as they sometimes are with me. I thought the match was good. Um, I think the other thing is, and maybe this is too much of a critique, but like I watched the whole show to, to just see Daniel Bryan come out, and I knew exactly when he was coming out, and that's when he came out. And I guess the swerve was Adam Cole, but still, like you know – all right, we got all this show, and then the thing's going to happen. But um, I like Adam Cole. I don't like – I don't blame the fans because they love the Elite, but I did not like, oh, let's all cheer Adam Cole and the Elite right after they did the little twist, and then at least Daniel Bryan comes in to end that. So that was nice. Yeah, I mean, there's something to be said for unpredictability. There's something to be said for, like, the heel-face dynamic and how weird it is to kind of, like, balance in 2021. But uh, – Overall, I was very pleased with the way uh, Danielson came in. I think wrestling has spent too many years being unpredictable for the sake of it, and I think sometimes the obvious course is the right course, so I I had no problem with it. 
I think it's going to be very interesting to see where it goes from here. I, I don't know these people's backgrounds as well, but it looks like all the fans in the comment section on YouTube when I was watching Rampage already believe that Kenny Omega is going to lose the belt and then Adam Cole is going to turn on the elite and Adam Cole is going to be a baby face and he's going to feud with Kenny Omega. So whether that happens or not, I don't know, but um, <laughs> very interesting times. I don't really want to see that, but I guess we'll see. <laughs> I will say this, and this is not something like I can't, like you asked me what I would change for the past week. This doesn't fall in that category, but I will just say looking ahead, if AEW does not follow through on the Adam Page, Kenny Omega storyline they've been building up almost since the beginning of AEW. I think they've really missed the trick. If they junk that in favor, even of someone like Danielson or Punk or like these big names who understand they're moving the needle, but, 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 but they've invested so much in this story. And to me, if it ends in any other way than Adam Page winning that AEW title, from Kenny Omega, I think they've missed out on something. I think they've cost themselves something. It probably won't hurt them in the long run because they got a lot of great options on the table. But for me, as someone who cares about the characters, the stories, the way that things have been built up, I think that that needs to happen if they really want to deliver on their promise to the fans. I don't think that will happen unless the angle is that how offensive it is that that happens because the the one praise I give Tony Khan above any other praise, I think this is the, re- the reason you can love AEW or hate AEW is that nobody listens to their fan base like Tony Khan. So you think the fans are like not in support of Adam Page? No, I think they are. That's why I think they will do that. Or that's why I said that they will either oh. do the thing, either they'll do the thing, or they'll make the angle that I see. I that he got screwed over, like whatever happened caused like the world to go in a direction that it shouldn't, and we'll get right, you know. Right. But nobody listens to the fans more, and like you can like that or not, depending on where you're standing. But that is Tony Khan is plugged into his audience, unlike maybe anybody other than Paul Heyman in ECW days. Yeah, okay, I'm with you there. I misunderstood, so I think it needs to happen, and if it doesn't, as you say, I think they're gonna have to spin that into a storyline. I would say, how good have they been? at spinning stuff into storylines. Like, if something goes wrong, like, I still sit in awe of Eddie Kingston turning around, like, the the complete kerfuffle in the uh, barbed wire explosion match and, like, turning that into something, which actually made sense. It was compelling. And then, like, just look at Dynamite. Like, uh, they had Minoru Suzuki on, who's great, who's awesome. Just look at the aura of this guy. If you can't see it, I think you're nuts. But... They've spun that now into more appearances in part because, uh, for whatever reason, they, like, couldn't fully play his theme song on Dynamite, and some people uh, were irked about that, and they've now turned that into Minoru Suzuki, like, and allies complaining the AEW didn't treat us well, so now we got to come back and have more matches, which is great. So, like, I feel like every chance they get, they turn around. If something goes wrong, they turn it around into something good, and that, man, I feel like that's something we haven't seen in a long time. That's also finding the right space between right. uh, Vince Russo's stupid work shoots where we just talk <laughs> about how fake it is and knowing that people understand that there are realities and taking right. that and bringing it into the storyline instead of just being like outside of storyline this, but they, they weave it in well. Yeah, they do. They do. All right. I think we're right about up on time here, but anything else you want to say about a WWF, anything, what do you got for me? I think, like I said, the things that will keep me watching is I want to see what MJF is going to do next. 
I want that. I want a very wild Brian Danielson who is just out of his mind. You know, like I want to see where that goes. Mm. I don't know anything about Adam Cole, so I'll just put a question mark on him. Um, but yeah, I think my big thing right now is Daniel Bryanson and where does he go? And is there anything about this company that can cause me to keep watching from week to week? Because even finding the pay-per-view not to be booked the way I kind of like pay-per-views, I still watch Dynamite and Rampage after. So, so far they have kept me watching. I think that's fair. I think, uh, from what we've seen, AW is probably never going to be fully for you, but I hope it is enough for you. You can keep watching because I enjoy these conversations and, uh, I feel like it's something nice to be connected to some wrestling that happens in real time, you know, to have some of that investment. It can be, uh, it can be a very special thing. It is because, like, one thing about the old stuff, like, I love it, but I can never be surprised by it. So right. if I'm ever going to have a good surprise again, it's got to happen in real time. Yep, well, here's hoping. AW, the pressure's on you to keep the Mystic engaged, and that, that could be tough, but uh, we'll see if you can do it. So, all right, we're definitely out of time here. So thanks for listening. We hope that it was not too confusing as I uh, Frankenstein all this audio together. There's some very fun stuff going on in the world of wrestling right now. Shout me out on Twitter. I'm at SpectralGent. Join us on LOPforums.com, also WrestlingHeadlines.com for a lot of great written material and all the podcasts on the LOP network. Do check it all out. It's some great stuff. Until next time, it will be WrestleMania 9 in Caesars Palace. Until then, Mystic, take us home. Absolutely. Until next time, don't let the legacy be dictated to you. Rewatch, revisit, rewrite. Discovered creature climbing on the mountainside. You know that no one else believed me. How about that? With green eyes and white stripes and salted tears, I knew that these were just its cautionary features. Keep telling myself nothing to fear. It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared The undiscovered creature The undiscovered creature I never saw this one in books or heard a myth of it Looks like it came from underwater I thought I'd seen every life form But there it is An undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared The undiscovered creature Undiscovered creature 
Yeah, he's the one that's scared The undiscovered creature